Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. What's up, Gypsy gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. And I am joined today by trainer, mechanic, everything, Randy Lawrence. He has had one of the most cool and eclectic careers uh, in two wheels that I think I've ever seen. Uh, And that's saying a lot because that's kind of what this podcast is about. Uh, He was a mechanic in the 90s and 2000s, famously wrenched for Jeremy McGrath while he was on Yamaha's. Uh, He then basically shut up shop as a professional mechanic and went and did the World Cup downhill series uh, and then came back. Uh, as a trainer for guys like Ryan Villapoto, Jason Anderson, Jake Weimer, like you name it, uh, Randy Lawrence has done it. So this is a really cool conversation uh, with a guy that has done more than most in uh, in this little world of ours. So just before we get into it, a quick word from some of our sponsors. Now, I have been leaning on AG1 more than ever to keep me in as good a shape as I can with how hectic life has been lately. In the last couple of months, I've racked up nearly 100 hours of international flight time. I've been running a bunch. I've been putting in my motos for World Vets. And I truly believe that this whole process would be a lot harder on my body if it wasn't for the daily habit of taking AG1 as soon as I wake up each morning. Normally by this point of the year with all the physical work, the mental work and the travel I have to do, I would have been sick at least once or twice, but this year I've managed to stay away from all those nasty winter bugs and the stuff that you get from planes and airports. AG1 is as good as it gets when it comes to an all-in-one nutritional supplement and is pound for pound one of the most impactful things you can do for your overall health in under one minute. Every scoop of AG1 is packed with 75 vitamins, minerals, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients. And as far as the benefits that I feel from using AG1 on a consistent basis, well, I feel like it helps my digestion first and foremost. I don't feel as bloated as I used to after eating, and I've also noticed that I don't seem to be reaching for a second coffee of a morning the way that I used to. While all these benefits personally are great, I also love the fact that I get to be partnered with a brand that I truly enjoy using and has also benefited a bunch of the Gypsy Gang who have gone to drinkag1.com slash gypsytales and ordered some of their own. 
If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash gypsytales. That's drinkag1.com slash gypsytales. Check it out. Before we get into this podcast, we have some breaking news. Manscaped now offers beard products and they are available in your country. That's right, they are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with a brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look like never before. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using the code GYPSYGANG for 20% off plus free shipping. Now... This product is one that I've been waiting for and I low-key think it was made just for me. It's time to tame your mane, so say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair-cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The titanium-coated T-blade is tough enough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The Pro Kit doesn't end there, though. They have created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. First, there is the beard shampoo and conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. That's why the kit has made shampoo and conditioner specially designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil. This helps relieve dryness both in the beard and in the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine. Cap off the beard kit with the beard balm, a pomade that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look to attract any fellows or dames. The Beard Pro Kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is always ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code gypsygang at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code gypsygang. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 links. We're also brought to you by the team at Fist Handwear, the best gloves in the game. I've been logging more laps than I ever have in my entire life right now. And I literally only have the one pair of gloves. Not being in the Gold Coast, I can't just roll on into the into the warehouse and get new pairs whenever I want. But it's pretty crazy when you own a pair of Fist gloves. Uh, you really don't need to have that many. I've been running the same set moto after moto and i absolutely love them i'm a lifer with fist uh and look i think you should be too you can head to fisthandwear.com and use the code gypsy gang to get 15 percent off your order we're also brought to you by the guys at dixonquality.com.au the best flannels in the game make sure you head to their website they're dropping new stuff every single week uh and we're also brought to you by the guys at tropical auto group and if you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, then you cannot buy anything without picking up the phone and calling Kyle. Kyle's been keeping us moving for the past three years, and count as well as countless other members of the Gypsy Gang. 
Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton, Stock Ford, Mitzi, Kia, Isuzu, and Great Wall. For the last month, uh, last 12 months, we've been wheeling that all-new D-Max. If you're looking for a new work for ute or play, I can't recommend that rig enough. And we've driven that thing from Melbourne, Cape York. Just recently did a trip to Millsy's in Townsville. Uh, and it's safe to say she passes the test every single time. So make sure you head to tropicalauto.com and ask for Kyle to get a $500 gift voucher from MX Store with the purchase of a new or used car. And speaking of MX Store, this episode is also brought to you by the guys at mxstore.com.au. They are your leader in online parts and accessories for your dirt bike, for your trail bike. Uh, And as well as that, they are also pretty spot on when it comes to running events uh, all over Australia. So if you are at all into off-roading dirt bikes in Australia, look no further than the guys at mxstore.com.au. And one last shout out, this is not an official sponsor uh, but Jamie at Twisted Development has been absolutely massive uh, in helping us out over in the US and I just can't thank the dude enough. Uh, you've probably heard of Jamie and Twisted Development uh, here in Southern California. They build some of the best motors in the business. Uh, they build Ken Rocks and stuff. They built um, Deegan stuff when he was an amateur. Uh, Jamie just knows his knows his stuff let's say that uh but apart from that just an amazing dude um we've never you know had any crazy dealings or anything together um and yeah he's just offered to help and been so amazing so this was a way that I could uh yeah just give back and say thank you uh if I was getting a motor built I would want it to be built by Jamie at Twisted Development. So you can head to www.td-racing.com and check out their Vortex Ignitions. Check out their uh, accessories for anything to do with making your dirt bike go faster. Without further ado, I now bring you Randy Lawrence. I'm at a gypsy. 11, I think it was. Chuck your headphones out. We'll just start here. Yeah. <coughs> yo, yo. We're good? Yep, yep. we're good. But bring this up closer to your face. Yeah, you should be able to hear yourself. And Yep. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Yeah, so you were working with Blake Wharton the first restart? Yeah, it was Indianapolis. And uh, they did the, the first, like, somebody had a crash. And nobody really knew it was going to go on. It was pretty far into the race. <coughs> and, uh they did the restart and they staggered it across the start. It was the first time they'd ever done it. But they looked at the rule book and figured that was it. And, and, uh, Blake ended up winning that night. What year would that have been? I think it was 2011. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I remember there was one that they did at like either one of the Anaheim's or like, yeah, they've done it. They've done it a couple of times since. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I never remember it happening before yeah that but then it seems like it happens a fair bit now yeah that yeah but that one on the weekend like man you race for 15 minutes of a moto and then it's just like oh well reset yeah i don't think that was like the way it should have been yeah. i think they should have staggered it what's the better way yeah so staggering it is the better way or to do like it. what uh mathis was saying on his thing i just thought on instagram is like just have the guy walk down with the gate down yeah and just flag each guy off yeah. and start them yeah like line them up from the inside out yeah. you know first second third fourth through whatever yeah <clears throat> and then at least they're in the position they were yeah you know 
No, I mean, I think I agree with that one because, yeah, it does seem pretty gnarly. Like, because if you think about, like, we're a unique motorsport and that we all start side by side. Yeah. Like, everything else is essentially a grid. And, yeah, you've got your gate pick, so your inside is going to be better for a turn like Buds. But, yeah, it's like, how do you kind of get back into that formation? Like, even if some people think a yellow flag's pretty unfair at times in, a, yeah, right? in, a, in like, a race, yeah. you know, and then they're coming around the corner and, and, you know, doing, like, a safety car type of restart. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's, like, a way that you could have, like, a sweep rider kind of deal, and then that almost becomes, like, your safety car. Mm, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, they definitely would Sweet be. Sweetheart get ran over. Yeah, but there'd be better ways to do it than a full, full blown restart. Yeah, I mean, if they got to stop and pull the guys off the track, like if they're that deep into the moto, like yeah, for sure somebody's gonna get screwed and somebody's gonna get a benefit. Yeah, you know, at that point they're all too good. Yeah, you know, it's not like gonna be the same thing every time. Yeah, imagine if the championship was like still close i mean that kind of shut the door on on the championship for hayden well for hayden for sure yeah like done i mean he was done before but like done yeah. done now but yeah. imagine if he wasn't imagine if it was like two yeah, points no, I know. and then yeah and then he like, goes down on the on and then the he restart. sends in the first turn and yeah what a bummer but yeah yeah no it was a hectic hectic weekend man i had my heart in my mouth during that moto with chase oh like, that bro, those last couple laps it was oh like, my god dude do that at 15 minutes and you'd be fine I, I i feel like jet probably was a bit complacent well i mean with good reason i yeah. mean he's been pretty comfortable all season you know he's been pressured a little bit you yeah. know and uh you know to his what he's been saying is like he's just riding you yeah. know like when he's got to turn it up he has well, I feel like it almost looked to me like he thought he was on the last lap with two laps to go, but he never come out and said that. Yeah, but also, like, look at Chase's lap times. They dropped. Yeah. And his feet were off, and he was sideways. and Just sending he it. He was sending it. God, he so, wants to beat him so But it was bad. good. Yeah. You know, like, show a little something like that, you know? Like, let's get back in it. Yeah. Yeah. That no, was cool. Did you happen to pick up on the line, you know, where Sexton went down? in the like down the hill the kind of that tight right hand yeah well it looks like he hit neutral when he when he went down so i think he's gone to gas and there was nothing there kind of the same thing as washougal then yeah but did you see what jet and hunter were doing off that little downhill it was like the tiniest little detail but it was so sick they're coming in and there's like that kind of single before yeah so they were going and putting their front tire on the inside high line of the track so that the tire would touch the ground basically instantly mm-hmm. and it wasn't dropping away from them and it had slide down oh, and then into it would slide the rut down, yeah. and I was just like boys 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 like yeah. how they do that shit on the fly it just blows me yeah. away I was watching it on my phone so I couldn't see yeah, all the little, little details <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. we were in Big Bear for that for Dual Solemn oh, this weekend and, and that was all day Saturday and yeah. so I'm watching the race and watching my kid ride and kind of doing everything yeah this is my first sunday watching the race at like a normal time on tv normally i've got to get up at like 5 a.m oh yeah yeah to watch the first mode so it's kind of weird actually it kind of killed my day to be honest yeah like on a good saturday i'll be up early to watch the downhill world cup yeah and then i'll watch like the world supercross i'll watch the outdoor yeah you know we usually got so many things going on well dude f1 i don't know if you watch that but i'm like big moto gp 
big F1. So it's just like just yeah. relentless all weekend. Yeah. But that's <clears throat> Yeah, doing. I mainly two wheels, moto, yeah, mountain bike, BMX, yeah. X game stuff. Yeah. Not too much with the cars. Yeah. I hard. dig it. Like yeah. it's sick. It's hard to follow everything. It's hard to follow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, mate, I'm stoked. Uh, stoked. We're doing the pod. Uh, we we met uh, with Ty Simmons when you. Oh yeah. J- JDR days. So One of my favorites, dude. So he that's was, like when we. First and I was wondering met. if you yeah. would remember me working with him when he came over here. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember it was one of like the first weeks that I was with those guys, and we went into your garage and yeah we had yeah. all the gym stuff and all yeah. the number plates like all that stuff yeah 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 so that's uh yeah, that would have been what was that t- 2012 maybe it was 11 or 12 yeah yeah it was right when he came over and like a young kid he was just big yeah and uh thrown to the wolves put him on a 350 Massive. and it was like they're expecting like all this stuff out of him and they put him on an underpowered bike and and then the dude top 10 the last race yeah yeah that was rad yeah he he had I mean, it, it wasn't a good run for him here, but I think that it's just a multitude of, yeah, fa- yeah, of factors. Yeah, like. and it wasn't... Like, if you look at all the scenarios that went on with him, like, it was a good run. Yeah. Like, if you look at it from the outside and be like, okay, this is a kid from Australia. He's never raced over here. He never got to ride the lights class. Yeah. They put him on their first year 350, and he was, like, overweight for it. Yeah. And just like, okay, go race with ricky yeah and james <laughs> yeah it's like <laughs> really yeah you want me to do that yeah well and then he uh as well as that it's like he's from this tiny aboriginal community in australia like he's not a big city dude yeah like his dad would literally drive eight hours basically minimum to every race to every team like they used to just leave that they'd, they'd go back to Burke, which was this tiny town mm-hmm. you know in the middle of nowhere australia and live like that real farm rural kind of yeah it, slow-paced it, lifestyle it, it, you know you you go down the starting line and you look at like everybody's upbringing and where they came from yeah and some of them will blow your mind that Dude. they how did they get there yeah like you know for me living in socal my whole life like you see all the tracks you see all the kids developing you see them like from little kids up team green or orange brigade or whatever the case is they're groomed yeah and then you got a guy from the outback like somewhere and next thing you know he's like on the starting line of supercars you're like what yeah yeah just straight to a1 too well even like ezra lusk yeah you know his dad was a logger out in the woods in georgia like how'd they even know what a motorcycle was and then know where to go yeah and then develop and get that good by yourself you know yeah, that, so. that is it is crazy when you think like it's one thing about loretta's there was crazy talent at loretta's obviously like yeah. i'm watching these kids that just rip oh yeah but then at the same time i mean i go home and there's kids at home that rip you know i think that there's a there's such like a just a natural ability that some people have to where like they yeah. get on a bike and then they can just do obviously then to take it to the level of being yeah. like a but, but just an average random kid how does ty simmons get on a bike to start with yeah true that's what's well i mean crazy. they were probably just like 
chasing farm animals and shit. <laughs> right? Like li- literally, just on a like, quad ripping through the yeah whatever yeah yeah yeah. They got like sand these like dry riverbed sand tracks i mean they just got land that's the one thing that australia has in a place like burke where ty grew up is just land like and then he rides horses he'd ride bikes he'd drive cut like just whatever you can do to get across the <laughs> land like yeah. that's where he's coming from <laughs> yeah he had a lot of heart too it was he was a good guy i liked him and, and so you were hired as his trainer but he'd literally never trained off the bike in his life yeah, well, he did when he got here, but he was just a naturally strong dude from just living, living out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, but motos were good, so we had to get really specific. Me and uh, Nate Ramsey worked together at the track stuff, and, you know, it was like he was a good rider, but yeah. then you had to, like, focus on sprints, like supercrosses sprints. Like, you got to be able to get out of the gate, go hard. <clears throat> and uh, to make it into a main, you got to be able to sprint a heat race. Yeah. So we had to really break it down for him to make it, to make him be able to go that hard right away so yeah and i think the one thing that i got a bit of a i guess like a culture shock you could call it when i came here with that team and starting on all the supercross races is just how gnarly you had to be from the jump like the first time that your wheels touch the ground in practice and and that's something that i don't think people are prepared for when they come to america from other places in the world is well like, even even here even mm. you know moving into it from here like you have you know what i feel like right now we have the we have the homeschooled generation coming in racing yeah and uh they've been at prep tracks you know four days a week doing 20 minute motos you know so they're all strong they're all fast they don't know how to ride a dirt bike but they they forget some of the details like the sprinting and putting the bike hitting their marks like all the little stuff that that really develops their race craft yeah and uh so like you said you go to loretta's like they're all fast yeah i mean look at the the lights class right now they're all fast yeah but some of them are just missing that little bit of race craft and uh they i mean just leaks well he grew up at prep tracks like yeah doing it the same as everybody else the whole time and dude gets a start he's gnarly yeah but he doesn't get him that often. Yeah. And then he's a 13th, 14th place guy. And you're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. You no, know? it's, it's so true. I wonder like the whole, the whole, uh, like facility generation. I wonder how that plays out. Cause like you get all these different <laughs> generations that come through, through the sport, you know, but it was one thing at Loretta's like, I definitely, well, that, that whole place is so gnarly because like from the first lap of practice, it's just a send fest whether it's a 45 plus class that goes first or an 85 and then you know you might have 85s that go out first and create these tiny little hooked yeah. ruts and then the next class is 450a and they're in that same tiny little rut yeah. like the way that the track it's like a fucking bomb has exploded <laughs> no, you know no, it's crazy and it's like because it's just that send 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 from like no one's riding lines in no one's trying to make any lines like when i was at barcelona with tortelli doing the stark testing he's like nobody ruined these ruts this first practice like all the first session yeah and he's just there was like six lines in every corner like inside to out mm-hmm. middle and perfectly to out, arc and perfectly, There's no nah. and then he's like then he starts outside in middle and yeah. it's like you just end up with six lines in every in every corner it's like over here it's but then you, you come here you go you to touch the ground bro you go to you a you go to an amateur like one of the public supercross tracks 
and every corner has a turn in the beginning, a yeah. flat spot on top, and a turn at the end. Because I just send it from lot one. But if you go to the Cowie track or Yamaha track, Suzuki track, any of those with the real guys, yeah, they're perfect arcs all day long. That's so true. It's just guys, the privateers don't want to figure out how to corner. Well, and I just think that everyone has like this pressure to go fast all the time here. Well, yeah, I mean that that's for sure. It's definitely stopwatch nationals from you know october until they're on the line at anaheim <clears throat> but it's a it's kind of a catch-22 because you kind of have to be yeah kind of on that rivet all the time yeah or somebody else is going to be and you're not yeah but you got to work with the individual too and like understand where they're at with what they're doing and sometimes you got to slow it down a little bit yeah and then be like okay this is what we need to work on you're going in too hard. You're sticking the middle. Let's slow down a little bit and let's get that roll speed. Yeah. So you can have that exit and then we can bring up that entrance. Yeah. You know, use the gearbox instead of the brake. You know, I would say, um, well, I started with Derek Drake when he was a um, limited B rider. Yeah. And uh, we worked on things, you know, for a couple of years and he ended up winning both pro classes at Loretta's. But he did. I'd say he did 90% of his 30 minute motors with no rear brake. Yeah. And, uh, and he was better than everybody at the track. Yeah. Like they, and then I'd be like, Oh yeah, it's no rear brake either. And they're like, what? That's so, wild. Eh? Man. How crazy is his health stuff that he's been through? Yeah. He went through a lot. I he actually really saw went through him a lot. at Brad's the other day. Yeah. He's a super, super good kid. I love the family. <clears throat> um, he really had what he needed to be great. And, uh, but with the amateur stuff, like we always knew he ran kind of a high heart rate. Yeah. So our base road rides, we we made sure we kept everything really, really low for him. We made sure his recovery was good. And doing amateur stuff, he raced every couple of months. Yeah. As soon as it went to nationals and you raced every weekend, he was never able to recover. And uh, we were trying to figure it out. And, you know, was it anxiety? Was it this? Was it that? Yeah. I mean, I went to Redbud. He fell asleep in the truck and his heart rate was at 110 sleeping in the truck damn and it was like whoa something's going on yeah so it took a little while to figure it out but um i mean he's riding great right now yeah it'd be, good, it'd be good to see him like finish some of those out and you know be in that seven eight nine spot yeah well i mean he he just from what he was saying the other day like he just basically he so he's had these surgeries they kind of like clip these nerves and and veins and arteries mm -hmm. in his heart that like basically stop sending it that freak out high heart rate signal but he basically just said like he starts from scratch every time that he has any of those kind yeah. of setbacks which is just crazy to me that he's going out there and racing Dude, i know i know and he's still like that fast like look at his you know qualifying times like he's in the mix like yeah. he's really good yeah so yeah it's a bummer i mean you see I mean, I was with Mumford from 14 to 16. He basically lived with me and just grew super fast and a lot of knee pain when he was growing really fast. And then the Geico thing fell through and didn't have the best ride. And, you know, just all these little things add up to where somebody that could have possibly had a really, really strong, solid career just, mm. you know, he's kind of just missing the boat a little bit. Yeah. You know? It's so gnarly, just the sport in general to where... Like, AC is the best example. Oh, yeah. That's a perfect example. Phenom. Like, the best, maybe the best amateur rider ever, really. You know, and you, it's like you've been with Kawasaki 20 years. 
Like you're so good at writing that you keep the same sponsor for 20 yeah. years. Like that's unheard of. But then, you know, you get into the pro ranks and you have an injury that then leads to another injury and another injury and another. And and then you grow a foot and a half yeah. while you're healing up. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's been crazy for him. Like, and he's such a good dude and I love sitting and chatting with him and talking to him and he's kind of an open book with what's going on, you know, whenever I see him and, and it's just one of those guys that you're just like, come on, just get it figured out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You want him to do well. And you know, him working with Nick, like I worked with Nick when he was, you know, oh, MDK and yeah, privateer, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and, uh, and we did a lot of uh, stuff with Nick, you know, so we kind of keep close tabs and, and, uh, we've actually got him some stuff for Adam to put on his arms to maybe help with the nerve thing. And, and, uh, I don't know, like he's had a couple of better yeah. things going on, but you know, I'm always in the back, you know, in the back room, always trying to watch the riders and, you know, the ones that I care about or know the trainer, know the mechanic, like, yeah, I'll try to, you know, from the outside looking in yeah, like, interject an opinion, yeah. you know, if there's anything, then I'll help. But, you know, yeah. Just, yeah. I think it, just with a guy like him, you just, the <clears throat> best example of like nothing's promised. Oh yeah. You know, Dude. like just to, you can have this flawless career and like, it's just that brutal of a sport that, you know, and, and I think Hunter's like a real good example of a guy that got faced with so many injuries and actually was able to come back. But it's like, man, that was a three-year block oh, I know. of everyone yeah. saying that he just wasn't that good. Well, <laughs> uh, when he started Supercross, it was it was really, really hard to watch. And, yeah. You know, I I was at the sand track in, at, you know, out in Paris. Yeah. The first day they rode here in the States. Really? And Joe was getting yelled at because he's, he's got to turn it on and figure it out. And Hunter was riding really good and... You know, and from that point until they started figuring out, I mean, I mean, how many collarbones could two brothers do in a row? Like, tink, 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 yeah. just collarbones, like one after another. And it's just like, man. And then you saw Jed at Loretta's the last year there and crashing the Ten Commandments and like all the stuff. And then just once he got in there, like really never made the same mistakes twice. And then just yeah. freaking 20 and 0, like really? It's insane. It's eh? nuts, man. But I mean, Hunter's a guy that actually has been able to come back from yeah. injuries, which is very, very rare that you get someone that had the level of injuries. Like he almost quit racing. And then you got a guy that goes from that to like a basically a perfect year in terms of titles. I mean, he, he's got a chance to even win the SMX, like three yeah. titles in a year. It's like not many dudes have been able to mount that kind of a comeback after you know, those kind of injuries oh, yeah. too, which is, that's crazy in itself. Yeah. But you just, we never really see that much in this, in the sport. Well, and then especially when you got brothers doing it, like it's, they changed the game. Yeah. What do you see? Like for someone that's been in the sport for so long, when you look at what Jet's doing mm. in particular, like what, what's your breakdown of like why he's being so Well, successful? I'm going to have like some old school answers for you. I'm um, fine with it. I just, it, it's I'm not going to try to say things that are like like mean I'll, I have respect for everybody that's out there on the track and I know they're all trying their best and 
and they work hard, they train hard, they go to the races, they go to the track, they deal with injuries, all those things are there, but we haven't seen a Ricky or a James or, you know, like somebody that's willing, like RV never had his feet on the pegs. Like he was just, mm. with the throttle was back, dude. Like he was going to win. Like when I was working with RV, it was like, he wasn't the fastest guy during the week and he was rarely the fastest guy in practice. But when the gate dropped to race, his feet weren't on the pegs, mm. but he was going to the front, you know? Um, and now like, until we just saw chase that last moto like feet off sending it everybody's trying to be too perfect mm. like was ricky ever perfect very rarely <laughs> very rarely he rode the tough blocks as many times as he rode through the whoops yeah james was the same way like it was insane um and i just don't see that right now mm. i don't see like and jet doesn't have to do it that way like yeah. jet's so comfortable and calm and rides the bike perfect and and every guy that i've ever worked with i talked to him about like keep your weight on the pegs yeah you don't have to be standing but don't sit down heavy like engage your quads mm. keep the weight on the pegs you're going to get traction that way and they just don't want to do it and then you see all these things on jet and hunter like riding lomo and mm. working with everts and standing up and i mean Look at half the lights riders right now. They sit down more than a lap than ever sat down in 10 years. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely, yeah. it, it is so true. So he just stands up and rides around, but he's comfortable doing it. Yeah. And like he said, on one of the things I just saw, like his back strong because he's been doing it forever. Yeah. You know, Eli, when he was on Geico getting ready to turn pro, he'd be at the track and his dad would take his seat off. Yeah. He was doing 35-minute motors with no seat on the bike. Yeah. So if you watch Eli, when he's ripping he's on the pegs dude and it's sick yeah like it's really really good yeah it's funny the that that's one thing where i think like maybe the whole facility generation is kind of catching up with guys when you see dudes like jet and hunter who it's like they live in their own little ecosystem they got their own track they got their own track work they got mechanics that are there they got their own like yeah. they're doing their own thing and there's no like even to go back to before it's like they can make the lines that they want to make mm -hmm. they can they can let the track get as rough as they want it to get they can make it rougher if they want to they can yeah. do the motos with no seat with no clutch with no they can do that they're in silence yeah. they're hiding away and they're they're getting it done whereas i think if you're someone that's at like a baker's factory or an mtf or like what club whatever i mean whatever maybe, maybe they're uh, doing the same maybe they're doing yeah. the same thing but it's like well when you're always on the clock you always want to be the alpha dog there you're always trying to get the fastest lap time you're going to be racing these dudes you don't want any you don't want anyone at the practice track beating you because then you got to race that dude on the week mm -hmm. like there's so much extra baggage that comes with yeah the whole like being i would being say, I would say baker's factory is probably a little bit different than the other ones because the other ones you know catered to more of the amateur yeah thing yeah. And uh, I kind of call those puppy mills yeah. where they're just, just come here, stay here. You're going to do your motos. You're going to go in the gym. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And it's basically just a set schedule and yeah. it's, it's, it's mindless. And uh, I do believe like at, at Baker's, like they're working on things. They're obviously elite level riders yeah. that are, you know, pushing each other. So they're going to be good when they get on the weekend. 
you know, but I do see, you know, some of the guys, those guys come to the races and where they should probably, cause he's got too many of them now. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, so if you have your Villapoto, yeah. if you have Villapoto who's just going every weekend and winning races and, you know, you're keeping your name kind of on that top yeah. level and then you have your second guy, your Weimer. Yeah. And uh, maybe he's not getting, maybe he's just the tool to help the other guy yeah. get better. And I'm not saying that's what it is when they're there, but it, you know, kind of looks like it sometimes. Yeah. You know, I watch, I love watching AP ride when he's ripping. But if you look at him a lot this season when he's just not on it, yeah. you know, his body position's a little bit weird. He's making crazy, crazy line choices. Um, just, I think with that attention to detail, yeah. he could, like this last weekend, I thought he rode, rode well. So with all the off cameras and all those things, and then you see him like on a normal track, and he's like in seventh or eighth and yeah. getting passed by privateer guys, and you're like, dude, you're back on the bike, like mm. your bike's down and your body's up here and you're like trying to figure things out and you know, where's that consistency of like just execution? Yeah. So I see I see some of that stuff out there right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I think I agree and I think that that's one of the I guess I think we're seeing like an advantage that's come from these guys doing it the way that they've done it like just very committed to their own program yeah like dazzy's obviously super knowledgeable and he's learned so much over the last yeah, you know, he, yeah 15 figured years out and he knows what to watch for yeah he knows what his kids are capable of yeah you know and that's kind of where you know when i i was a mechanic 15 years before i started training yeah and i just saw you know the training side at that time like early 2000s it was just it was there guys were hiring trainers from other sports mm. and next thing you know i mean a perfect example is you know i i was jeremy's mechanic three years we won three titles and then the next year skip wanted to come back he went back um they changed a bunch of things like inside their group and within a couple months you know jeremy's doing 70 mile rides on his road bike mm when when i was working with him we were going to the bmx track and doing sprints yeah you know something that he enjoyed doing you know and he's riding his airdyne at home and he was doing the laps at the track and he was doing transfer lines with Wyndham, and he was he was doing a lot of things that he enjoyed but still productive mm. to to win races and be competitive and next thing you know he's like he didn't like riding his road bike because i tried to get him to because i enjoy cycling mm. and uh, he didn't like it like he wouldn't do it so I'm like, okay, well, let's do these things instead. And uh, then he's doing like 70 mile rides, you know, two, three days a week. And it was a full like Ricky Carmichael training program. <laughs> yeah. And I, and the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Like he wasn't enjoying it. The focus wasn't there. And he had a struggle year. And then obviously we went to the KTM and, you know, things didn't go great there. And, and uh, I think like, because when I started with Jeremy, he's like, I want somebody that I know. It's a friend of mine that I can have fun with hanging out and not just be serious at the track. Yeah. Well, then you win three titles doing that and then it gets serious again. And they lose sight of like enjoying it and having fun. Yeah. And then it's like the pressure's back on 
then you don't want to race. Then you're changing your grips because you got arm pump. Yeah. Like, yeah, you just start searching. You just ch- yeah, you're just chasing your tail. Yeah. So were you? So you did three years as a mechanic. Were you doubling as a trainer in that? No. Time or um, like it was you? <laughs> how did it sort of work? So, what was wild is in the early '90s I was a mechanic, and yeah, because you've lived like five lives. Yeah, in I've the, had in the industry. Yeah. 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 So uh, I always rode BMX grown up. And then I ended up working as a mechanic for my brother. Yeah. From my brother, I went to Doug Dubach at Yamaha. So what, let's let's just stay on when. So you grew up in Southern California. Yeah. And BMX was like the first influence. I was riding like freestyle. Yeah. Stuff from yeah. like mid '80s, and yeah. that's that's kind of was my focus. Then the 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 bicycle industry crashed, and my brother was getting good. He had sports from Yamaha to to race supercross and outdoors <clears throat> so i was his mechanic for a little while and then and were you riding motocross at this point i rode younger but once i started riding the bicycles doing the the ramps and skate parks and flatland like all that stuff then i wasn't riding anymore yeah okay and uh so i was just doing that and then my brother needs somebody to go with him so i went to the last couple amateur stuff with him then i did a few supercrosses with him um and then kind of out of the blue Doug Dubot gave me a call and was like, Hey, you want to come and work for me at Yamaha? And, uh, so I did that, you know, and then I ended up working at Yamaha for a couple of years with him and then moved over and, and, uh, David Pingree just turned pro. Yeah. He was a support Suzuki rider. So I worked with him, you know, doing the nationals and Oh four and Oh four. And we were at Troy, Ohio and uh, I always was good friends with Mitch from yeah. Pro Circuit because he sponsored my brother, and they actually helped me a ton learning how to work on bikes. Yeah, okay. And we're at Troy, Ohio. Between, so you were just like working, like learning on the job, yeah, basically. Yeah, learning and, you know, figuring things out. You That's know. so crazy, eh? <laughs> and uh, Mitch rolls over, and between motos at Troy, Ohio, and asked Ping, he's like, you want to ride for me next year? And I was like, yeah, come and see me next week, you know, so that's how you know ping ended up with his ride with pro circuit and and then uh so i was his mechanic over at pro circuit and then that season we were we were in red butter in 05 we were in red butter at, at for the race and i was watching tv with uh dave castillo yeah from innovation sports and uh a downhill mania like mountain bike race came on and he's like, you could do that. And I'm like, I could do that. And he's like, you should. I'll help you get sponsors. I'd never ridden mountain bikes. I was always just a BMX guy. And uh, so I came home and told Mitch after the season I was going to quit and I was going to race downhill the next season. So I did. And uh, I was expert for like a couple of months because you had to petition to be pro. Yeah, yeah. I ended up making the – I was able to do the finals – that year of the of the downhill mania which was four guys at a time yeah yeah and then two advanced to the next round and i made it into the round of eight and uh ended up with a ride with intense and you know fox came along and and then that's kind of when i i was good friends with sean palmer yeah and he did the race because a couple months before that i'm like let's go to big bear and ride mountain bikes he's like i'm not climbing the hills up there at altitude I'm like, no, you ride the lift up. 
once we rode the lift up and rode down, he's like, oh, I'm in a race with you. Next yeah, year. yeah. So, he's like, I'm in on this. Yeah, he loved it. So we kind of just grouped up and, you know, got on the intense Baden wagon and painted up his box van and we went went for it in 96. Yeah. Dude, that's so sick. So, uh, so I got a massive mountain bike background. I probably wouldn't know, but my uncle uh glenn jacobs he was like one of the uci track designers in the 90s for the world cups and he was like filming all different mountain bike like he'd made the first mountain bike movie. well it wasn't and, hard to all they did was take ribbon and threw it down the yeah, mountain yeah yeah yeah. tracks in europe were gnarly yeah dude <laughs> so uh so and it, i was kind of around like i had an intense m1 when i was like 14 and shit like that so like i've kind of know that era mm-hmm. and that time so who was your teammates then it was so so you and palmer was that so like me and, palmer, and running that no same? it was before them so, so nine, it was a bit 96 before. it was me and sean ah, they were me, like 98 99 yeah so yeah, me and sean yeah, yeah. were the only ones we took his box van and i basically went from being a mechanic at the end of october to riding mount saint anne the next may you know it was like a fast track i was 28 years old when i started racing downhill that's so cool and, uh, you know i made all my finals i was never like i was never a steve pete yeah or a guy like that but you know i got in there and enjoyed it and had fun and it was i mean created a lot of memories yeah and uh so yeah it was kind of like my era was like rob warner yeah you know steve pete yeah um nicholas Vulios obviously yeah. winning everything you know yeah. sean lost the world champs by 0.15 in australia probably because of a skin suit <laughs> when we were wearing like you were when me, all yeah, baggy me, shit. me and Sean showed up in moto gear. So you rode the '98 Worlds in Cairns. I did not ride the no. Oh, okay. I never did a Worlds. Ah, oh, okay, yep, yep. No, yep. I never made it to a Worlds. But he was down there with that Troy Lee painted, yeah, you know, uh, American flag frame, and that yeah. bike's still at intense down here. So I grew up in Cairns. Oh, so you, yeah. you you've ridden that track? I've ridden that a million times. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. love to go down there and ride it. Yeah. Um, so yeah we just kind of were on it ripping through like doing that and i ended up on yeti in 97 yeah and uh had a decent season a little bit better you know i'd be you know 10 to 15 in u.s nationals and and uh, my best world cup was mount saint anna 29th that's so sick (laughs) um and i got world cup results with greg menard on them yeah 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 so um and then towards the end of that season Larry Brooks called me one night and he's like I think I have a rider that's coming to ride for me at Chaparral I feel like he can win races would you come and work for him and I'm like well who is it because I still had offered to ride for Yeti the next year uh, okay you know so was I going to keep racing downhill you know on, yeah. on a minimum budget or was I going to come back you know at this obviously a higher level as a mechanic and uh, I got off the phone when about 15 minutes later, I'm like, he's going to hire Jeremy. Because Jeremy was on the Suzuki, and obviously he wasn't happy yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I called him back, and I'm like, if it's Jeremy, we need to have a meeting. Yeah. And he was like, all right, I'll set it up. So we set it up, and Jeremy was super nervous to go to Yamaha because he was at Honda when he won all yeah. his titles. And he had, offered to go, he had offered to go back to Honda. Uh. <clears throat> And uh, who was at Honda at that time? Uh, Cliff White was the team manager. Yeah, and who were the riders? Um, Tortelli. Yeah, 
Um, Prashan. Yep. Um, I don't remember who else. Yeah. Okay. But they they always had a a, a good group. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but that's when they, um, well, he left Honda because they made that aluminum frame. Yeah. Got in the Suzuki, <clears throat> and he just figured every team was ran like Honda. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> put everything into it. Yeah. And then he was at Suzuki, and he was like, "To heck." Like I'm driving my own practice bike to test on to the test track. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of a eye opener for him. So then it was like he had this chance to go ride at Yamaha under the Chaparral banner, but his bike would come from the factory with those guys, and then it would just be the the factory bike under the Chaparral truck. Yeah. But he didn't know. That would have felt uh, like a bit of a step back for him, I'm sure, right? Well, and and nobody had done a satellite thing yet. Yeah, that's like the first So it was really kind of a a weird deal because, like, salary came from Chaparral, bonuses came from Yamaha. Like, who's paying me to be his mechanic? Like, the whole thing was a little bit weird. But I knew knew all the guys at Yamaha from when I was there with Dubok. Yeah. And I told Jeremy, like, straight up, I'm like, they will do everything in their power to give you a bike that you can win on. It's not going to be what you just dealt with. You're not going to fry clutches during races. You're not going to do this. They're, they'll make the bike what you need to win. Mm. And he's like, all right, let's do it. So we ended up doing it and you know, the writing's on the wall. We did a 98 started a little bit rough. Um, we had to do some, some tweaks and changes and he was happy with them and came out and, once he won a race, I think he did maybe four in a row. Yeah. Because he almost had Phoenix that first year, and Ezra passed him, I think, in the last corner and beat him by, like, 0.5. And, dude, he was pissed. <clears throat> but he was trying to beat Honda at the time, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, because it was like, if he went back to Honda and won, then it was what because was, of Honda. Lusk was on Cowie at this point, right? He was on Honda. Oh, he was on Honda. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah. He was on yeah. Honda. So, um, so yeah, he won, we, he won 98 season and the 98 model yz wasn't the greatest but when they made the 99 they changed a bunch of things and that bike was sick yeah so the 99 2000 model you know he was just twiddling his thumbs and he was ripping yeah 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 that was such a cool era of like bike and i mean that's i would say that mcgrath is more the mcgrath that i remember like i'm 35 and uh so yeah i think by the time i was like really fandom in the sport uh it was all mcgrath on the on, on the, the Yamaha, Yamaha, you know? yeah and i yeah. think that that i don't know if, even though he spent so much time on honda like i don't know that era seems like it has a pretty special yeah. part in the sport yeah i think so too um it was kind of like you had all the videos coming out at the time yeah yep. um you know he did all the still root stuff terra firma was huge at the time yeah you know, so there was a lot of things going on in the industry at the time. And if you look at, so Jeremy ended up going Supercross only. Yeah. So in 98, if you look back, he crashed in Detroit and snapped the handlebars off his bike huh. and broke his wrist. But nobody knew he broke his wrist. He broke his navicular bone. So he finished the season and ended up wrapping the title up in Dallas. So he had it with a race to go. And then he won Vegas, you know. Um, but then he was going to ride outdoors, even with a wrist. Huh. And uh, and I think he went one 
won five at Glen Helen and Tortelli went five one to win. <sighs> but that one five made him like fourth or something. Like it was crazy the way the points worked. And then with Tanktown, he went one one. And then went to Mount Morris and he just struggled all day and got a fifth. And then I went to Southwick to build the bike for the next week and got a phone call. Jeremy's pulling out. He can't hang on the way he needs to. So he's going to get his wrist fixed and be ready for Supercross next year. Yeah. So once he committed to Supercross only for 99, I made a couple of calls and was able to get back on the World Cup circuit. Oh, really? <laughs> so I was a mechanic during the winter and then I was racing World Cups and Nationals in the summers. That's it was so awesome. Sick. Yeah. So what what was the like your fondest memories about racing World Cups? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't really be able to pinpoint like what the best part was. Um I mean, the tracks were gnarly over there yeah. like I mean, Leger was the first time I ever got arm pump on a bicycle. Yeah. You know, I was at the first Marabor that they ever ran. Um, Nevigal was a race in Italy that, you know, Steve Pete broke his kneecap the year before. So we had this whole group that did like our first run down, you know, tribute to Steve Pete for coming back and, you know, racing again and getting his knee fixed, all that stuff. Um, but like all of it was just, I mean, we had Sean, Sean Palmer's bus when we were in the U S and we were traveling around in that. Um, when we were in Europe, we were just, I mean, hanging out with, we had the Z fifties in the van in the bus when we were driving around. So like we were, I mean, we rode just, I I guess everything, like there wasn't really one thing that was my favorite. I mean, obviously I loved racing and, and, but it was like the lifestyle and the culture. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was such a cool vibe back then. (laughs) It was awesome. Like, and you know and for me i'd been a mechanic for so long that i spent Mm. a lot of my winters in europe doing bercy you know barcelona geneva switzerland like doing all these like off-season races but when you're doing those you're in these big cities yeah in europe when it's just cars and it's compact and tall buildings and just weird cold and and then now i'm racing world cups in the mountains in yeah. Europe, and it's like these little restaurants and little hotels. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The the husband and wife are making breakfast. They're making the beds. Like yeah. So it was two totally different cultures. And that being I was able like to, a kid from Southern California to then experience like a Trentino and and like Andorra and all these crazy places that 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 yeah, tour I would mean, go to. Well, and from not even really racing mountain bikes, mm. I was just kind of like like I I'd, I'd never even been to like anything really in the states and then all of a sudden i'm on the top of the swiss alps or in leger with just pouring rain on me (laughs) like what am i doing here you know like but i mean it was just life experiences that you can't there's no way to replace it oh yeah dude and it's just to i guess to have the experience of like you being the guy too and not not like you go from a mechanic where all the focus is on someone else all the focus is on another rider like to to get a chance to live your own dream in a in a sense where like that that focus is on you and you can put yourself first like it, you it's your job to put yourself yeah. first and then you got people coming up hey how's the suspension working or you know yeah. try this part or do this or that and you're like that's kind of cool yeah you know so. yeah no it would that that time i mean yeah that was like peak downhill for me it was like 
Minar. Well, that was peak downhill Petey. for everybody. You know, like that was such That's, a dope part. You know, of that. and and with my son racing now, um, he's riding for Intense. Yeah, which that's awesome like as soon as we took him in to get his his first frame my original m1 is in there no shit so i'm holding my m1 he's holding his m16 the first one he got and we're standing with jeff that's so cool and now like he's a couple seasons in with them and and uh we just had a meeting with them and they're going to take care of Ryder for the entire world cup season next year to be he'll be a junior it'll be his first season junior so we're going to go to Europe and race the places I was at, Yeah, you know, and hanging out. And it's all the same people in the industry. Yeah. Some of them aren't right. I mean, they're not right. Well, Menard's still racing, but everybody else is working in the industry. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome. Man, it's so crazy because I remember him just r- literally riding around in your driveway while we're doing oh, little those, kid, those huh? workouts, yeah. like dumping his little, like the, you know, the little plastic rings yep. that you guys had. Like, yep. Yeah, man, he's. Time flies yeah he's like yeah it's crazy like we've moved moved him into the pro class for dual solemn now and uh we just had the straight acres dual solemn and big bear this weekend and i had him signed up as age group but he's been like he's been pretty good in age group this season <clears throat> downhill and dual so i'm like we're gonna move you to pro like he did a pro event at what at a, a gopro all mountain games in colorado and to my surprise, he qualified fastest and he won the finals well. by point zero zero seven after two runs. And uh, so obviously we were stoked and uh, and legit riders were there. He was with uh, Colin Hudson in the finals there. Yeah. And uh, then this weekend at Big Bear, everybody was there. Like you go down the Crankworks list and they were there. Yeah. You know, everybody. I was like, man, he qualified fifth killed it and then freaking third in the finals like, that's so sick i was like my hat's off to you kid like yeah. i don't know how you did it he's, he's never gone that fast on a bike that's so, so cool yeah it was awesome like so you know obviously we're working really hard with him you know with all the coaching and training i've done like he's seen that growing up yeah so he knows what it takes if you want to be like an elite level real guy yeah. and uh you know he's willing to put in the work to do it so yeah and those are his goals to be a world cup rider and and uh but he loves just riding his bike like yeah. he can jump on his 20 inch and it's crazy like he'll learn two new tricks in a day it's gnarly so just loving it yeah so we're just you know trying to develop him and yeah. and uh, get ready to go to the races my oldest daughter she just we just checked her into college this weekend she graduated high school and now she's in college playing lacrosse yeah right so yeah we're just, just getting full, older and making yeah, moves yeah 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 <laughs> so was Ryder always into it as a kid like you could just kind of tell from a super young age because i always find that fascinating like so you know wes williams right yeah yeah so the wes he doesn't really ride he films obviously like that's been his deal forever but never really does moto never really rides not really ever watching it his kid fucking obsessed just straight up all he wants to do is ride his stasic he puts his big full face helmet on like throws himself down the stairs like the kid's just an animal yeah and like wes is just no stop all of this like let's do some (laughs) other shit not in any way encouraging or trying to make it happen and the kid just 
fully loves it. Like, he's going to be a, a sick little moto rider, you know? Yeah. So, with Ryder, like, I've always loved the BMX side, like, the yeah. freestyle stuff. So, I mean, we got him a Strider when he turned one. Yeah. He couldn't even walk yet. Yeah. And uh, you don't know, like, you know, and I'm starting to think, like, yeah, yeah. why is my kid going to want to learn how to do 360? Like, you're going to crash and get hurt. Like, mm. that's it's inevitable when you're learning things and, you know, and uh, because Phil, like my brother, his kids never really took to the action sport side, moto or whatever it was. And I think Ryder probably would have raced moto if we pushed him that way, but we didn't. It was bicycles. And uh, and he just, like, he would crash and blow his face up and... Just didn't care. And want to go again. Yeah. Like, just, he was... He was breaking helmets when he was two. That's got to be just some, like, yeah. I don't just I don't even know how you could prepare a kid for that. How do you like? Is it just fully luck of the draw, or do you think it's like environment? Like, I mean, obviously, if we never gave him a bicycle, that wouldn't have been his yeah, direction. Yeah. But we presented him that, and uh, he became my porch pass to go ride. Yeah. Yeah. You know, true. Like, he was into it and I'm like I mean he was literally riding skate parks at two years old yeah on a on a push bike yeah and uh he just never stopped like he would sleep with his bike he would put a strider on his lap to watch cartoons that's crazy we had yeah. to put it in the shopping cart when we went into the stores when he was little um but you know anymore a bike's just a tool to him you know just like any moto guy that's a tool yeah for him to do his job yeah so yeah like you know and he didn't even get on a mountain bike till he was 13 you know when covid hit yeah you know we got some frames and and i started building them up and i'm like we well, don't even need a downhill bike let's just build your trail bike because that does everything really good and you know we started riding a couple of shuttle spots yeah and i'm like well maybe you do need a downhill bike so then you know there was one summer he was still racing bmx and uh the first the kind of post COVID when things started opening up, he did seven weekends in a row. Um, five of them were BMX nationals, um, Oklahoma, Maryland, Minnesota. Can't remember where the other ones were. And then two downhill races in big bear, but there was all like every weekend. Yeah. And he's 12 years old, like flying everywhere to do all this stuff. And then it was after that season, we finished the Grands as a 13-year-old. Never went back to the BMX races. Yeah. Yeah, so he's just done with the BMX thing. Except freestyle. He loves his... his like dirt, skate parks. Like dirt jumping, dirt jump. skate yeah, parks. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, We've always ridden Pat Casey's a lot, so that was kind of a huge, tough thing for us yeah. to face. And, and uh, you know, we still talk to them a lot. Yeah go up there and you know ride the ramps and hang out with reed um you know andy buckworth's been yeah. kind of rider's coach yeah you know okay. like he, know he, super well. he doesn't let Ryder get away with anything yeah if we right. go ride his house or if so we what is he anywhere, coaching with like freestyle sort of stuff he'll just make sure he's doing things right mm. you know like he he kind of got Ryder in the right position Ryder's been doing backflips since he was eight yeah you know and then andy's like no you got to do it this way if you're ever going to do a variation and flip, you need to do it this way. Yeah. So they kind of worked on that. And, you know, and now he's like flip bars, flip tucks, like whatever, really whatever he wants to do in it. Like he's comfortable. Um, but I mean, he'll be at a contest and Andy will be a judge and he'll be like, 
you got to downside through that box. Yeah. He's like, all right, let me warm up. And he's like, no, do it right now. <laughs> like, you know, like he don't give him. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Cause he knows what he can do. You yeah. Know? Um, so yeah, just, yeah, that's kind of what we're doing now. You are, know, you, not, are you glad that he's not doing the moto thing? Mm, yeah. Just because like what we've been talking about, like it's so cutthroat. It's so like, yeah. I mean, I mean, look at a guy like Carson, like, yeah, he's such that, a good modern example. Love that kid. Yeah. And he's such a good rider. And like, I know where the start, the kid's going to be right there, but he's not getting the starts. You know, he's having these little stupid injuries all the time. And just these little things are keeping him, you know, back from, you know, being a guy that's going to be able to yeah, make the money to build a, a life off of, you mm. know, but he has the skill you know but so does Jalik mm. you know there's there's a, a handful of the kids out there that you see that could do it you know Dylan Schwartz he has everything that he needs mm. to be successful and it's just you can't get 14th every weekend you know man like, I, I wonder with um, I wonder with Carson if there's like a a real mental sting with him you know like cause everything was going so right like how do you mentally well and i deal on, with that honestly i think that's what that's lot, probably one of the what, bigger issues. one of the biggest things is yeah. when geico folded up it was like yeah what the fuck dude yeah even yoder yeah like i've worked with yoder i was working with him when he was on geico like yeah and then what do you do like huge void you're, boy, you're eh? sitting on your thumbs like yeah you know and the yoders i mean that's an amazing family yeah but they didn't have the money just to turn around and be like okay well let's just go buy four bikes and go to Twisted and have Jamie just do everything up. Yeah. You know, they were like, what do we do now? Yeah. You know, like, you know, and he's, he's trying to rebuild and come back and he had, you know, in Supercross, he had a, a few really good ones yeah. last season. Like it was like, okay, you're showing up a little bit. Yeah. You know, but his first season, like he struggled rolling, rolling through the tunnel. Yeah. You know, that's something I always try to talk to my, you know, rookies or, new kids like you have to deal with rolling through the tunnel yeah anybody can do it at milestone on wednesday oh for sure but if you can't figure it out when you roll through that tunnel yeah. it's done because yeah. nobody's your friend now no more like roll down there have some authority whole shot practice someone tries to go around you take their line like yeah. you need to do it now yeah. don't wait for a heat race if you wait for a heat race it's too late man i uh, it's like i'll get roasted for the whole like jiu-jitsu analogies but like even you know i go i go into a gym and it's so easy to be like okay put your ego aside don't let you know what i mean like you can get tapped by all these dudes it's your first day in this gym you know like don't make a scene <laughs> don't make a you know don't be that guy and then I just like seeing these dudes and you you know the guys that you got to spar with and I'm like I'm not letting them fucking beat me like right? there, there's like a level it's it's such an ego thing though and it, it's it says more it says more uh than what you think it does like it, it's those little things like you said like that don't like whole shot practice don't let like if you let that guy go around you easily 
and then you make a mistake in the whoops but then he like that dude's in your head all not like that's yeah you remember like they're the details that like they well, and they and add they're, up they're not going to give you the time of day when they come up on you and then yeah they think like oh this guy's fucking easy to pass yeah. and it's like in the in a gym scenario it's like there were there were dudes were literally they're in tight like we trained together for years like we're the same level same size set we trained together from white belt for four years they'd never done and like never done anything to me and it was like that there is like it's there's a such a gnarly competitiveness in that which feels a bit fucked up <laughs> like if you yeah you can't let some or you know what i mean but it's like i honestly think that there's really something to that mentality and it's like it's it's heavy to wear that mentality it's heavy to like live in that all the time but you know i i th- look at a guy well, like tomac or a guy like yeah. Villo. it's like that's they well, have and, that mentality yes, forever and, and if you look at look like well look at it, a tomac or look at a, a villapoto or dungy or you know kenny or james you know any of the, any of those guys or even jason now and I, what i was going to bring up was was something about jason when he started um they can go out wherever they want they don't have to whole shot practice they yeah. can roll around two laps and then they can just lay one down they've already established who they are yeah, yeah, yeah. what they, they are yeah, they know yeah, the pecking yeah, order yeah, like yeah. people know where kenny's at like, Everyone knows he doesn't have to earn a pecking yeah. order you know <laughs> yeah. they know that he's a bad dude yeah but when i started with jason he was very very timid he took off You're last Ando? anderson yeah. yeah and i'm like dude you got a whole shot practice and he struggled so bad until he started figuring it out and then I worked with him a couple of years. He he was with, I believe he was with Alden when he got on the 450 because he was on the Husky. Yeah. And uh, but I was at every race and he whole shotted 18 of the first 21 practices his first season on a 450. Mm-hmm. And he set his respect where he was, who he was. Yeah. You know, he established that early. Yeah, that name's going to be on the board it's, every yeah, time. Yeah, your number's us. on the board. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And I always tell my riders, dude, I man. tell my riders all the time, and I even talk to a writer about this all the time. I'm like, you cannot show up to Supercross and be invisible. Yeah. Vince Freeze is never invisible yeah, at a race. Yeah, that's very true. From the first practice until the end of the night, Yeah. he's on your radar. Yeah. You know where he's at. But then you have guys that are like so much skill and you never even noticed they were at the race. Yeah. It's like, dude, you started last, you started eighth in every heat race, you know, you got seventh, you qualified 12th, you know, like, where were you? Yeah. Never saw you. Yeah. Like fight with somebody, like Make follow, like do something yeah. to, to show that you even want to be there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so true. And like even thinking with like the the gym analogy, like there's even a where people leave their stuff. Like everyone, you got like the Mm -hmm. the mats, and then there's like the black belts are here, and then they leave they leave their water bottles there, and then the new people leave their water bottles and shoes like way at the back. Like even that says a lot about who you are, yeah, and your intentions. Like I brought it up to one of the black belts in the gym that it's where i trained for like four years and i was like you ever notice like who goes where and he's like no and i'm like everyone that fucks is up this end like all of the beasts this is where they yeah it's just like territory you know it's like there's so many subtle 
little yeah. things that go into and you gotta like come a in dominant and you gotta mindset. go in there and yeah. you gotta yeah. establish yourself I, mean, I was a white belt and i put my shit right next to all the black belts yeah, every every single time <laughs> and like that beat me up but it was just like a even I, I looked at that as like an obvious thing like well i'm not gonna put my shit down there with all those people like if my yeah. shit goes up here but they're those subtle reminders whether they're conscious or not that speak to like a certain mentality and it's like pastrana would always say winners win you know like there's just a certain mentality yeah. that's going to get it done well with him if if they finish they win <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 i took Ryder to pastrana land a couple of years ago and i was talking to his dad and his dad's like you know ended up putting the pieces together because i hadn't seen him in yeah yeah 15 years yeah he's like you're jeremy's mccrat or jeremy's mechanic like yeah like when we started talking i'm like you know jeremy never missed a supercross yeah never missed a race yeah and his dad's like huh travis never finished one (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) so that was funny but travis is awesome yeah he's always been dude and he was so cool because I was like, I hit him up and I'm like, hey, I'd like to bring Ryder out. Oh, so this was like semi recently. Yeah, like two years ago. That's sick. Yeah. I'm way too, I've never no, been maybe to three. Yeah, it literally, it was right before we did the mountain bike thing. But he yeah, was obviously okay. riding his freestyle bike a lot. Yeah. And uh, I hit him up and I'm like, hey, I'd like to bring Ryder out. And he's like, when? I'm like, all right. He's like, all right. And then I hit him up. I'm like, um, what hotels are around there? And he's like, no, you just stay at the house. That's so sick. And I was like, what? And then we were there for a couple of days and he was working on a couple of tricks. And we went there, literally, he'd broken his collarbone 10 days before and got it plated. Uh, and, uh, but he was sending it. And uh, I'm like, hey, he's trying to get this trick. Can we stay a couple more days? And he's like, stay as long as you want. Like, that's so cool. But I knew the kid when he was like 14 at, you know, Loretta Lynn's. And like then to see him now and like how he just brings people everybody in you know yeah. like oh yeah crazy 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 generous humble yeah, like, like way nice way guy. too much yeah. way too much yeah like here's the keys to the trucks yeah like nuts brings donuts and coffee to everybody every morning like it's like really yeah he's a rare dude yeah super super yeah. rare it was an awesome weekend so we'll go back to maybe some of the the wrenching in the in the 90s like All right. what was the what was the industry like then compared to now like because you've spanned such a mm. length of the of the industry a lot of the same people a lot, a lot of, of new, the same people which is yeah crazy to think i mean even yeah, dude i went away five years and then i like come back and, and just go onto the truck i'm like what's up boys it's uh, the same very similar um, people yeah i mean it's the same like <clears throat> I mean, when I started, we were in box vans. Mm-hmm. So we drove box vans. I was with Yamaha the first year they had the semi. Yeah. Cowie was the other team that had a semi. Hang on, I'm just going to fix this. Uh, it looks like this mic's going a little bit. My janky setup. Looks like this is starting to bleed a bit. The start's going a little. <laughs> we'll try and come up with a point. <laughs> It's like, wow. What's that? Is it working or is it? Is it not going to stay? Now, wherever it hangs is where just where I'll get. That's good. If that's, if that's all good there. If it starts tripping, we'll... 
Is it all good? Yeah, it's just turning a little bit. Yeah, it's because of the... Um, it's just on that plastic table. I'll just lean up like this. <laughs> yeah, you should be able to pull it back a little bit to you. Is it, should we try and like do it? I think that's fine. Is it fine? I can, I can actually set up a little bit more anyways. So Moto, like in the 90s, you know, box fans, early 90s, you know, got in the semis. Yeah. Um, 93. I actually went back to a box van with... Um, with Pingree for 94 in yeah. his box van and we got sponsored by Airwalk 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 tennis shoes yeah dude and, I haven't I haven't uh, heard that in forever yeah, and I became friends with uh, with Kim Boyle who kind of ran the marketing side of that and he, wanted, and he wanted to get into moto and I had Jeremy Jimmy Button Phil like there's probably 20 of the you know the top dogs the top guys just wearing airwalks because they were getting them for free you know we had airwalk on the side of his his uh box like a man. triangle like a logo right <laughs> had a triangle low and it. then it kind of had the long oval and just yeah, had airwalk yeah, written yeah, out yeah and then uh that's crazy and that's then, a trip and then what was crazy is uh not many people would even know this but kevin staub was a professional skateboarder back then and he had a company called 90 yeah it was 90 clothing um he had a a punk band called ice cream headache mm-hmm. and david pingree was from phoenix and 90 was in phoenix well pingree's number when i started working for him was number 90 we hooked up with those guys and he started sponsoring so we had like 90 clothes everywhere 90 hats so everything was like people thought we had custom stuff made because of his number was 90 yeah yeah <laughs> um so yeah that was kind of that was even before you know when the crusty and all that stuff started coming in but with like all my bmx background like we had that look you know yeah, and that's yeah. kind of how i met kim boyle was from the bmx stuff and then he wanted to get into moto and then the next year when pingree got on pro circuit i went to mitch and i was like hey we could we can get sponsored by airwalk and they'll take care of the whole team all shoes all year whatever you want and he's like we're not a skateboard team nope no shit two years later he's sponsored by vans <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so it was we we're just a little premature i think yeah you know so yeah because it was that was before the crusty yeah any of that stuff so yeah. you know do you, do you remember like a big shift where moto really blew up in that in that period of time um it was kind of then yeah you know, so it, it was it like really right was there. yeah it was like i mean when Crusty Demons Dirt came out, like, it changed everything. Really? So you like, could visibly feel it here? Oh, yeah. Like, it was, it changed everything. And it, maybe not Crusty 1, because that one was a little bit, like, people were scared of that one. Yeah. Really? Like, because I knew, I knew Dana Nicholson and John Freeman from, because I was snowboarding a lot at the time. Yeah, okay. And met those guys, and Damien Sanders, and obviously we're friends with Sean Palmer, and, yeah, like, and I was into all the the snowboard videos yeah. then and then Denny Stevenson and and some of the other moto guys is the ones that started heading up you know let's make this crusty demons dirt thing let's yeah. base it off what we're doing with snowboarding and make it moto and I, w- I was taking teasers to motocross companies and having them look at it to sponsor it no dice dude really nothing I mean crickets so if you look at it, it being all like black flies and 
yeah. Volcom and you know companies that Doug Moto. Yeah, that were kind of in like that I world sold, already. I sold uh, Nathan Fletcher's first 125. From, it was one of Pingree's practice bikes. Yeah, right. You know, and I'd go up snowboarding with Nathan Fletcher, like yeah. come down here and and try to go surf with him, like using one of Herbie's boards. You know, like <laughs> just crazy. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, that it is was wild. like it was like that time. It was like there were starting to try to be some crossover, but the industry really wasn't having it. Yeah, and it wasn't until you know they forced the issue. Yeah, they really just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and jumping bigger and higher and farther and yeah you know more black stuff was being worn and it turned into like street bmx on a motorcycle and yeah and uh then they made videos about it and it, that's when it changed and so could you notice it like in the supercross stadiums like it, every, it would just get bigger and bigger and bigger like the scene like because you think it's like the 909 bro kind of yeah it was a, so like, it's like the before <laughs> like who was the supercross band before that came in you yeah know? um i wouldn't really say like the stands changed a lot i think moto had its base yeah but the fan base changed yeah like the look of the people in the pits like yeah the flat they got their own the, identity kind of bro dozers in the parking lot and like yeah bro you know and it was like and then it was like baggy jeans or yeah the chain wallets you know the the image started changing yeah because when i started with my brother 89 ish i was at anaheim in the pits and i had a hat on backwards and all the yamaha dudes were like turn your hat around what yeah, are you yeah what are you doing yeah and i remember matasevich used to get in trouble like if he was in japan and had his hat on backwards like he would get in trouble you know so yeah that was such a thing i even remember getting in trouble when i was at school for having my hat on. <laughs> yeah that right was just like a, that was like that was such a fuck you to like yeah. the establishment i in guess some weird yeah. way yeah so but yeah i mean it was you know crusty started changing things and then terra firma came in and then jeremy did still roots and and uh you know and then if you look on the mountain bike side we did chain smoke yeah which was like the first yeah initial like plug like push at trying to make mountain bike like that yeah you know and i think they did a good job yeah um that's when it changed so like when i started working for jeremy you know a couple of crusties has been out and you know still roots had came out um i was making number plates for jeremy on his practice bike that had holes cut in the side so he could uh, do like hand grabs yeah, yeah, yeah. he was doing like one-handed grab like yeah supermans and like so if you look at some of those old videos you'll see the cutouts in the yeah and the things and uh I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, he wanted handholds. <laughs> like, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing what the boss said. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. Like, the industry really wasn't digging it, you know, yeah. especially like, like the Cliff Whites and, you know, Mitch was not about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, I mean, even go back, like when I started working for Pingree, like, I was bleaching my hair back then you know and i was riding bmx and like i was like i'd have a bmx bike in the truck yeah and i'd go ride street at yeah. night when we were Cause at, at that things. point like that seems so developed yeah and uh when i went to work for pingree and he hired me one of his sponsor guys was like i can't believe he's hiring that guy that guy's an idiot <laughs> he's partying all the time like that guy's out of control why would pingree hire that guy and the friend of mine that he was talking to was like we're talking about the same guy you're talking about randy 
he doesn't even cuss. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like he's not crazy. Yeah. And he's like, really? But it was just the look. It was just the look. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and again, for me, like, <clears throat> I always tried to enjoy what I did. Yeah. You know, like, I did the job. Like, when I was a mechanic, I made sure the bike was ready. I did the job. But instead of just going to the bar and hanging out with everybody at night, I was Gone off riding street yeah. or, you yeah. know, finding stairwells or, you know, when I was home, I was at Sheep Hills or, like, doing something different than what everybody else was. And and at that time, it just seemed like people didn't take me as serious, I guess. Yeah. You know, because I was just, I was enjoying my time away from It's so funny job. how that works. Eh? Like, I mean, even... Like I heard the other day that like uh, guys had the some moto guys that were d- doing their podcast. They weren't allowed to do their podcast anymore because it was like taking time away from their training and they're not serious. It's like the fuck. What are you? Yeah, like what are you gonna do? Just sit at home and yeah, that's literally the expectation. Is like go do your motos, do your recovery, do your training, shut the fuck up. Yeah, right. <laughs> don't, don't I know. Do, I don't know. do and anything else. Don't dude, have any again, life like, out of it. Dude, don't have you, any style. You have to try to enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, like. When I started working, so I was, I started working for Villapoto before Punk stayed in Loretta Lens when he was an amateur. Before, ah, uh, yep, 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 yep. So I, I was with him his last two nationals. So he last didn't, two he amateurs. never trained though, right? He did train. They just to really have before a direction. Before Loretta's? They oh, just, like before he went pro? A little bit. Like yeah, okay. they did stuff. They just didn't really know what yeah, it was. Yeah. Like when we first went to the gym and he did bench press, it was the bar. Yeah. Okay. Like, he got second at Glen Helen being able to bench press the bar, you know, his first season. <laughs> That's so sick. So, um, so I had him, you know, started working with him, and, you know, kind of the deal was, like, let's do Ponca, Loretta's, um, and the last three nationals, and then if we're good, if we have a good relationship and things are going the direction they need to and we want to do something, we'll work together for 06. So, and he's obviously 16 years old, young kid, 135 pounds, you know, starts ripping. Um, so we did a deal for 06. And then that's kind of when I started with Nick White also. Yeah. Who was a little bit older, more established, <clears throat> privateer um, at the time for MDK. Yeah. And uh, he was just a wild man, dude. Like, really? He would do motos at Glen Helen and then stop at 4th Street and do more motos. And if we did a road ride that day, then when he got home, he was going for like an eight mile run. Really? Like, so with him, it wasn't getting him to do the work. It was putting a leash on him and getting him to do the right work, better work, yeah, less work at a higher level. Yeah. With Ryan, it was just like, will you just do the work? Like if we had to do a time trial on our road bikes, and like I'm following and like timing from a point A to a loop yeah. back to that point, you do those with Villapoto, it's like freaking watching paint dry. I'm like, dude. Are you going to pedal? I am pedaling. You know, he was just the yeah. guy that like, I'm like, just put the effort in. Yeah. And uh, he's like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. My legs burn. I'm like, there's the no point. way, there's no way your legs burn right now. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'd be so frustrated, but then you do it with Nick and it was just like over the top, dude. Yeah. He would, he would try to dye everything that he did. Yeah. You know, I would do a century with friends on a road bike and, he would just do it because he's like, I got to do it too. You know, like you can't let anybody get a leg up on you. That's, that was Nick's mentality. So once we calmed him down, 
mm. and got him to, you know, less work at 100% instead of all this work at 80%. You know, that season he, you know, three, four fifty podiums and, mm. you know, he was making moves like, yeah. you know, he had, after two years of MDK, he ended up with that KTM deal. And obviously that wasn't the best because it was no linkage in a three speed 450. Yeah. So. That's mm. a strange motorcycle to have to ride. <laughs> it eh? really was, man. But, you know, they tried to ride it in Supercross, but, but yeah. And then it was like at that time. So when he got on KTM, that was 08. And then I started working with Weimer for the outdoors because uh, Ryan was going to go to the 450s the next season. So I worked the summer with Jake, Ryan, and Nick. And Jake and Ryan were both on 250s. Mm. You know, Jake was on the Geico team at the time, and he ended up switching over to Pro Circuit. You know, and that's kind of why we knew it was going to kind of work together. Yeah. Um, and freaking we'd go to Nuevo and 35 minute moto Weimer beat him beat Ryan by 30 seconds really like every week and then you go to the race and Ryan won one and Jake 11 six or something is it just mental all mental yeah and that's I'd say Jake was probably the one guy that I was able to work together with and get him to figure it out because when he won that title in 2010, he was gnarly. Mm. He was really, really good. But it started in 09. Like if you yeah, watch, if you yeah. watch his 09, yeah, his first season on PC. Yep. You know he won four races, a couple little mistakes kept him out of the title with Dungey. Um, but he won three nationals, and he ended up going to donations that year. Mm. Like, so. And if you talk to Jake now, he'd be like, I'd never, ever dreamed I would ever win an outdoor national. Mm. So he just dealt with a lot of self-doubt. Yeah. He just, he was a Jersey reader. Like, they would get in his head. Yeah, right. And so we just really, really worked hard to get him to block out the noise. Where do you reckon that came from? I think, I honestly think 99.9% of people just have that. Yeah. You know. Fuck, you're actually so right. But Ryan never had it. Yeah. You know, he didn't care. He was like, I mean, Ryan got beat by Alessi his whole life, but it didn't phase him. Like, it didn't make him feel like less of a person. Mm. So if you look at Ryan's first season outdoor, 06, like, he knew how to lose. Yeah, Alessi, yeah, yeah. Alessi never lost a race, dude. He did, when he lost a race, it was, I mean, like the world came news, apart. Yeah. It was like, what do we even do? Yeah. You know, I was face to face with Tony many times that season. Like, I thought he was going to punch me because Ryan beat his kid. I was like, there's no way he got that good that quick. Like, really? Tony would say that. You guys are cheating. I'm like, dude, like, we just do the work. Yeah. You know, and Ryan knew how to lose. So if he didn't win a race, like, it wasn't, it wasn't the end of the world. Deal, yeah. We'd go back and just do the work. Mm. And, uh, you know, but he had an incentive because Ryan hated training. So I'm like, if you go one, one, you'll get a training session off that week. So whatever schedule I set up, you could pick any one of those and be like, I'm not doing that. That's sick. And he took advantage of it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And he got a lot of one. <laughs> he did get a lot of one ones and he would make sure he took whatever time off he needed. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, that was a really, really fun time. 
Yeah. Because uh, all those guys were doing really, really well um, at that time in the industry. The money was good. Yeah. Um, it was right before the, the recession hit. Yeah. So, I mean, we just, I mean, it was like us four every day. Because, yeah. you know, when I was working with those guys, I was, I basically made Ryan breakfast in the morning and made sure he had his vitamins and yeah. got to the track. And then, you know, Nick was grown so he could get there. And yeah. Jake was living on his own so he could get there. Yeah. And, uh, then we'd just be together like we'd go from the track to the gym or to my house to road ride yeah we flew together you know we had dinners together at the races like we're just it was a tight group and they got along well and if you look at the dynamic between nick and ryan like nick was this established vet yeah that not vet like 30 but had some years under his belt and uh was just a workhorse Mm. And Ryan was this young kid that was talking trash all the time. You know, we were going to put TMZ on his pants at one point because it was just everything you could do. To, just <laughs> that's what he did. Yeah. And uh, he would just instigate everything. He'd blow all the berms out. He didn't care. And so they kind of worked together. It was it was yin and yang, like yeah. 100%. But they became like best friends. Yeah. Where like in a normal world, they would have hated each other, you know, because like it was it was crazy but the way they worked together like because they i mean right had come off the track from the lights and go to the line and talk to nick on the yeah yeah you know and like and we'd be at the track and nick would talk to ryan about you know try it this way or do this or whatever so it was it was a lot of fun yeah that was a, a cool time it's funny um yeah when you mentioned like a lot of people just have that self-doubt it's so true eh? like it's very <laughs> Like, I think about the amount of doubt that I have to go through in my, like, my own life. And I mean, I'm, I just do shit constantly. And like, I think that I've figured out a way, well, I, I don't know whether it's like natural or what, but like, I always just do the things that I f- feel like I need to do. You know, like even this setup isn't ideal and it's just like that you have all those thoughts of like, fuck it, wait till you get it set up properly and maybe it's not ready and what happened there and like there's just this cacophony of like yeah. these constant thoughts of why you should and it's everything it's going it's for a run yeah. it's like making food instead of getting uber it's like your life is literally just this cascade of doubt and i, I mean for me at least anyway it's like you hear a girl like why well, maybe there's the odd one percent of people that don't get it but even you know like my wife like she's going through her stuff with you know some work shit that she's got going on and i'm like coaching her through the away from self-doubt you know it's yeah. just like all right you did this last time you did it this happened blah 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 and it's like we all that's like the human condition in a sense is just like to deal with self-doubt oh, and yeah, i think yeah. that the the level that you succeed to in life is directly in proportion with the amount of self-doubt you eventually overcome yeah i I believe that and i learned a lot about it when i worked for jeremy Mm. it was the really the first time in my life that it delve into the shadows of the mind with sleeping dogs a gripping murder mystery starring academy award winner russell crowe now available on digital Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best 
to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It, it really came to light, like, the way he approached racing. Yeah. I was like, huh. Because, you know, I was always around my brother. Yeah. You know, and I was working with Doug Dubach. And I'd be like, okay. So you're around winners. Yeah, I was around, well, and my brother and Dubok, they were just off that mark. Yeah. And I'd be like, dude, you guys aren't going to this race to win? And they're like, no, you just go to ride good and like do the best that you can. But then huh. you start hanging out with a guy like Jeremy. It's like, no, you go to win. Like, yeah. You're going to that race to win it. Like Ken Roxon goes to race to win. Yeah. You know, Tomac doesn't go to get... Oh, I hope I'm on the podium. Yeah. I'm going to win that race. Yeah. Yeah, and so. you, it's like a noticeable shift, do you think? Yeah. From a, to a guy like Jeremy, because he won everything. Yeah. Like it, he won. He I was remember. like the first, not like, maybe not the first, but he was just like this phenom generational dude that it was like, man, no one's ever going to be like this. So, I mean, the level of confidence and the level of, I guess like self-belief would yeah. have been insane with that guy. Yeah, it was it was next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, bathroom breaks down. What 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 was on your mind while, um, <laughs> while you're in there? So, yeah, going back to just that that self-confidence, you know, going to the race like I'm going to win. Yeah. Like that's my goal. Anything less than that's, you know, substandard. Yeah. Um when I was with Weimer and he won his title in 2010 and uh we went to Vegas for the East West shootout. Um, he wasn't really on that day. Mm. Like he was a tick off the pace, um, was struggling a little bit in the truck, like wondering where lines were or whatever. And uh, just knowing him and, you know, the relationship we had, we could talk openly. And I, and I just told him, I said, look, you know how to ride the bike. Mm. You're fit. You're strong. Your bike's good. You can do anything you want on your bike at this point. Like, just because you were fourth in practice or whatever doesn't mean you can't do what you need to do. Execute your start and hit your marks. Don't worry about it. And he won. And he had, in the beginning, he had, he had Dean Wilson was on him. Mm. And he showed him the front wheel, you know, six or eight times. But it was Dean's rookie year, so he made it to, like, lap eight or nine, and then you could see he was just like, I'm done. Like he was, he'd given it the effort that he could to get by. Yeah. And Jake never missed a landing, never missed a rut, never missed a shift. It was on point. As soon as Dean dropped back, Pashan came in, or Purcell. Purcell, Purcell came in. yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I get like a couple yeah. of generations yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've been around too long. <laughs> yeah. Purcell came in and started doing the same thing all the way through that 15. Yeah. But Just he hit his marks, dude. And, it, dude, that was, in my mind, probably the 
there was there was two, but that would have been one of the top two races that I felt he executed and won, and very very easily couldn't have won that race. Yeah, yeah. If you went off how he was if feeling, he, yeah. If he would have thought, kept thinking about it too much, like yeah. First off, wasn't hole shotted, and then they probably would have just rode away, and he would have been yeah. You know, clip a couple jumps, and next thing you know, you're in seventh or eighth. Yeah. So, and yeah. Jeremy and Jeremy was the same. Like we'd go down for track walk and uh we'd i would see everybody goes down to track walk you know they look at the start gate and if jeremy walked down and he's like um i'm gonna go right in here we need to have two or three gates that he would pick i knew it was gonna be a good night because sometimes you come down and be like oh i don't want to start next to doug he's in that four stroke i can't hear my bike you know mm. as soon as he let any bit of outside noise in that night might not have been as smooth mm. as one where he just went down like this is me mm. when he was this is me it was over yeah what was the workload like back then compared to now like prime jeremy mcgrath versus um, like so you're t- the training workload just the off the bike workload. um not as heavy obviously yeah. obviously we know that um, but like, but, but like how much but like i was saying um they still rode three four days a week yeah they were still doing 20 lap motos yeah they were doing tons of starts all that work was at least the same as it is now you know and we had outdoor tracks out in the hills everywhere for outdoors and it was you you rarely rode prep tracks to prepare for outdoors you'd ride dry beat cupped out choppy rocky horrible tracks to prepare for nationals um so i would say that was probably better than they do it now because yeah. now like they're going to pollinate prep i know glenn helen gets gnarly or whatever but it's still too easy yeah um but now the scheduling is i think the biggest difference because jeremy did work like he was on his airdyne pushing himself for the you know 18 20 minutes you know, for a, for a super cross, um, he was doing gym work, but it was at that point, it wasn't like CrossFit or plyometrics or things like that. It was like, let's go make our shoulders and our chest big so we can hang on. You know, it was, it was more the, the Mike LaRocco mentality back then. Yeah. Um, now at least any of my riders I ever had, they had a schedule on Sunday of exactly what they were going to do Monday through Friday. Yeah. And it was two a days. Like, you're at the track, you're on the road bike. You're at the track, you're at the gym. You know, and then once I knew the block of work was done and everything's good, I might still set up that schedule knowing in my head I was going to call them Wednesday morning and be like, take today off. Yeah, but you're just <laughs> keeping it mentally. Yeah, and yeah. then mentally they're prepared to go do something and then when you give them a day off, it's like, huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they recover better that yeah, way. Yeah. You know, instead of knowing that. Yeah. Instead of knowing they have it off and they're prepared to sleep in and, and be just a blob all day. Yeah. They were ready to do something and then they They got given a gift. Yeah. Yeah. So like even when I was with Anderson, like he wasn't a professionally trained athlete when I started with him. Mm-mm. Maybe the furthest from I would say he was the worst on my incline bench of any not rider of any person that ever got on it and uh 
but he put in the work and look what he did. Yeah. You know, so building him up, there were periods of time where not only was the physical work hard for him, the fact that he wasn't at home, Mm. he was a guy that, I mean, he lives in New Mexico now. Like it's never been easy for him to not be home. Mm. Like he would come over and just be, you know, next to being in tears. Like I can't do this. I want to go home. Yeah. You know, he struggled and we would just talk a lot. We always talked a lot. And I talked about, you know, sprints, you know, motos, like for me, it was always about the training. And then you'd have to work with an individual mentally and what it took. Yeah. Emotionally. Like you had to wear a lot of different hats where that's where I think the, the puppy mill type thing just doesn't work Yeah, because everybody's the same. It doesn't matter if you're homesick. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're this or that. Yeah. So with Jason, I would be like, take three days and just do Jason. I don't care what you do. I mean, and he wasn't being an idiot. Like he wasn't, it was like, I don't care what you do. Like yeah, he's not yeah. at the bar being an idiot. Yeah. yeah. Like you want to go go karting for three days. You want to go golf. You want to go to the beach. You want to sit here and like watch TV. Like whatever you want to do, just take three Jason Anderson days mm. and do whatever you want. If you want to get your bike and go to, you know, Star West and, and ride at night, do that. Whatever you want to do, take three days and then we'll get back into it. Yeah. And it would be a reset for him. And then he'd come back and then, you know, kind of be back on it. And and uh, that first couple of years with him, there was a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. A lot. Man, I, I, I remember I was over here at that time. And I remember when Bobby Hewitt benched him from Supercross. Yeah, that was when I was working Yeah, yeah. It was, was actually outdoors because... Yeah. I started with him just before Vegas that yeah. year. That was his rookie season. Yeah. And come to find out, like, after a heat race, he would change and he would be he would be leaving the track. Like, he was going home. And they'd get him back because he was getting anxiety and some, some things like that. Um, so the, the fact that he has done what he's done is amazing. Yeah. Um, so when I started with him, I go to Vegas with him. Well, first off, I started with him. We had the week before Vegas. We went to the Suzuki track. He couldn't do six laps. I'm like... How is he such a good amateur? <laughs> Short races. Yeah. He would. He he told me, like, he would, he would prepare for amateur nationals about three weeks before each amateur national. Just put in the, put in the riding, go. Just natural. Like, watch him ride the bike. He's still yeah, that, I mean, yeah, he's still yeah. that loose, flowy, yeah. jersey out. Like, yeah. nobody is Jason Anderson. Yeah, like, he rides like his personality. Yeah, there's yeah. exactly. Yeah. And um I'm like, you just said it's the six laps. Like That's not enough. And he was like, done. Yeah. Like he was tired. So we go to the race, you know, and then me, like, I want to see a guy go out there. You know, I'd been with R V and Jake and Nick and like all these guys that were like Savages. Yeah. And he goes out and he rolled the track like the first three laps. And then he goes to jump the triple in first gear, cased it, hurt his hand, ended up going to the asterisk thing. Like they were going to quarter zone shot him and we're in the truck and I'm like, you're not racing. Like you're not even ready to race. Yeah. And uh, so they said, okay, his hands hurt a little bit. And we had outdoors in two weeks. He couldn't do 30. And he was freaking like, 10th 11th at a national like he was that good yeah 
So very, very early on, I think we're maybe two or three nationals in. They did bench him, but I told him, I said, here's the deal. If you just do the work, you will be an A-list rider. Yeah. Like, look at what you can do on a dirt bike. It's not brain surgery. Just do the work. And he just started doing the work. Yeah. And uh, and if you remember those couple of years, you know, 11, 12, 13, if you remember the heat that we had at the races those few years, like that was when Lexington yeah. passed away. Yeah. Like people were passing out every race. Like the humidity, those three years at every race, they shouldn't have ran 35-minute motos. Yeah. Because it was just damaging people. Yeah. You know, Tomac won his first national and then was sick for two years. Mm. You know, it was just, it was too much. And it was every single weekend. And then we took this kid and was throwing him into 35-minute motos week in and week out who wasn't ready for even the motos. And then you add the 126 degree heat index that was at every race. He was never able to recover. Full gear. Yeah. It was like, he was, he could do 18 minutes. Like even when he started getting to where like if we were home and he could do 35s. Yeah. Yeah. That translates to, he could do 18 at a race, you know? (laughs) And then, and then that's when I started getting in trouble, you know, Mm. dad's yelling at me, you know, the team's yelling at me, you know, it started getting started getting bad for a little while there but it was like dude you started preparing to be a professional last may Mm. like it's gonna take a little while you know and he but he dug his boots in continued to do the work you know it was actually like you know and, and i was working with him when he won his first supercross and uh you know, one of the things that I knew going, we knew the Suzuki's were a little bit down on power, like Geico whole shot at everything, right? Pro circuit was on point. KTMs were on point, but we'd go to the tracks to practice and, and train. And we'd be in Jason's mini transit and park next to KTM box van, pro circuit box van, Geico Mm. box van, star box van, all their teams, mechanics everywhere you know i'm changing foot pegs that are wore out at the races or at the practice track changing clutches levers are flapping you know knobs are off the tires you know it, w- it took a while for the team to to start pulling it together and uh start getting that infrastructure so that the mm. the riders could actually go to the track and be practice ready to practice and practice the way they needed to yeah and be at the level where the other teams were so that's when I came in to work for, like I was the team trainer for Rockstar Suzuki at that time. Yeah. And uh, so when we started doing that, the deal was, okay, here, this was Rockstar's deal at the time. Star was Rockstar and Suzuki was Rockstar. Whichever team did better that season was getting the full Rockstar sponsorship. Huh. The other team was clipped. I never knew that. Not many people do. Huh. And that season was when I worked with Blake Wharton and Jason yep. on the Supercross side. And they had a couple of podium finishes outdoors, but that was when you had the Fast Five. And it was like Kenny, Dino, mm-hmm. Baggett, uh, Barsha, and Barsha. Uh, Marvin. Yeah. So then like Will Hahn and Jason would be like sixth and seventh every yep. week. And sometimes a fourth, like trying to get in there. Um 
But Jason won a Supercross that year. He had multiple podiums. Blake on the East Coast won like six heat races. Yeah. Won two mains. And uh, they got all the Rockstar sponsorship. And start, that's when Star ended up going to Monster. Dude, that's so crazy. And I got fired. Really? Yeah. Fuck, I, didn't, I, and I'm like, I never knew that. What the heck? Yeah. So that was kind of it. I mean, nobody would really know about that deal yeah. and the infrastructure there. And uh, just I worked really close with Bobby and, and uh, Dave, who was the team manager. And we all got along really well and everything was good. And that's kind of how we put that deal together was to bring bring me in, make sure the guys are on point. I'll be at the Monday meetings. We'll watch video. We'll talk as a team together with a with Jamie, who was doing the motors, with the mechanics, with the riders, and really try to put this thing together and see where we can go. And it was a really good Supercross season. Mm. And uh, then outdoors, it was super hot again. If you remember, Elsinore was like 116 degrees. I was at that race. And the, It was so bad. And the track was... Terrible. Was super long. Yeah. I remember Wharton, he was on the track for like 39 and a half minutes and got sixth or seventh and Jason passed Kenny with like two laps to go there was a downhill off camber yeah and Jason went to the inside of the off camber and used the inside as a berm just crazy and then uh and then like so we started talking about contracts and stuff and they were kind of dragging their feet and they're like uh we're not gonna keep you it's like what what did they do after that did they get anyone else or no no and then, uh, so Jason wasn't working with me, but they hired Ryan Sipes for that next season. And that's when they got Millsaps because mm. they kind of put themselves on the map, like doing well. Yeah. Yeah. And freaking Millsaps, how gnarly was he on that Suzuki? He was good on that thing. He could turn that thing underneath anybody. Um, but I worked with Sipes that year when he ended up, you know, a couple of podiums outdoors. Yeah. Um, some struggles in Supercross. He was still on the lights bike, um, but outdoors he was pretty good on that 450 yeah but jason was just kind of doing whatever on his own and he was still riding for that team though he was still riding for the team yeah and uh he didn't do great at anaheim and he didn't make the main in phoenix crashed in the last chance or something and i was driving home that night he asked if he could ride home with me and we napkined a deal to get him back on point yeah and that's the year he won his first race and then he fired me in the outdoors. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm like, dang it. And the next year was when the team went to KTMs. Yeah. And he hired Jeff Ward. Yeah, okay. And then he won his title. The, I mean, dude, being a trainer would be it's, the, the it, worst dude, job. It was, it like, was, I mean, it was, it was good. It's just, it's, it's not like being a mechanic. Cause if you're a mechanic, you're working for the team. Like you're there at the shop. Like you're hanging out with the boys. Like you're working on a specific bike you know you're like you're just there what i did as a trainer like i was my own entity off here just working with the riders trying to work with the mechanics you know like trying to make sense out of this whole thing and being at the races and making sure them because i was a mechanic for 15 years so i could go in there and be like hey you know yeah, the suspension, yeah you kind of you know, know both sides and, and most of the people in the industry were like okay with that with me coming in and being like, what about tire choice or air pressure? Or, you know, even if we're at a practice track, like 
you know, we need to look at, you know, changing this, like, you know, whatever, you know, and, and I was able to kind of be kind of on both sides and uh, work with the riders, you know, work with the mechanics, work with the teams. Bones would call me to ask if things were going good suspension wise, like when we're just riding and training. Um, so it just, it's, it became tougher when more trainers started coming in. Mm. Cause I ended up training for 17 years. So my early years was when I had like the RV and then the, when the economy hit, like that whole thing happened and it started coming back. That's when I did the rock star thing. And, and I thought it was going well until they let me go. And then, then Jake ended up coming back from, from Baker's back to California. And I worked with him as last season on Cowie and he just had a bunch of injuries and, and uh, then I transitioned over to just start doing like amateur kids. Yeah. Cause then Ryder was getting older and I wanted to be with him going like to his races more, and, yeah. and, uh, and with the amateur stuff. Yeah. You don't have to travel every week. I didn't have to travel every weekend. I didn't have to go to the races. If they wanted me to go to the races, it was extra fee to go to, you know, Texas or Loretta's or whatever. Um, but it was like be with them, you know, two days a week during the track at, at the track during the week. Um, you know, set up their off bike stuff. You know, I did, mo I still did most of the road rides. Most, you know, I just set it up to where I could have more of that family time, but still be doing this. So I had more amateurs, you know, to make up for, you know, the, the financial side. And, uh, that's when it started becoming tough was then you're dealing with more dads, um, with amateurs that, you know, every dad thinks their kid's going to make it, which mm. not every kid's going to make it. So for me, like I would, I'm going to get every, give every kid the best I have to give them the best opportunity to do their best. And, uh, some of them took it and some of them didn't. And, and another hard part would come in when, when I would be doing what I need to do with my riders. And then the dad would be telling me, how to do it you know i'm not going to their job telling them how to do their job that they're making their money to pay for their kid to go racing but then with my background you would think well this guy's got it figured out like let's just let him do what he needs to do yeah he's the expert and uh you know <laughs> get there and make it happen because it took even with ryan it was probably at least two and a half years, almost going into the third year before Danny just kind of took the reins off me and kind of let me do what I needed to do. All the way up until then, it was like I had to answer to Danny for pretty much every day of training. Who's Danny? The, uh, Ryan's dad, Villapoto's yeah, okay. dad. Oh, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and it was just um, he needed to know why we were doing everything. Why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And then I, would, I had no problem explaining it to him. Yeah. But it took a long time before he just was hands off. Yeah. And yeah. let me and Ryan just do what we needed to do. So it was, uh, but yeah, the dads are tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think trainers, it's always such a hard gig, you know, like the trainer's always the first person that people blame the trainers always that you're you're such a replaceable person in the industry like yeah. if you get fired there's 10 other dudes that'll 
tell you, oh, what did Randy have you doing? Oh, that's fucking wrong. You got to do it. Well, know. they didn't wait for you to get fired. Well, that's I've true. actually been in the car with my riders when another trainer calls them on speakerphone telling them how much better they could make them than I was. That's insane. I've been in the car with other trainers doing that behind your back. And why is it such a ruthless game, you think? I don't know. I never did that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like I said, I, I gave everything that I had to the riders that I had. And if they took it, great. If they didn't, like, that's fine too. You yeah. know, like, everybody's going to make their own choices. But I have been around this game a long time, and I have a pretty good idea. Like, even Mumford, like, when he was getting to the upper level on the 250 before the whole Geico thing went away, like kind of towards the end of us working together. He's like, dude, all we're doing is motos. You don't need to do that. That's old school. That's old school training. And when he went to Bud's Creek his first year, he was done. Yeah. He's like, that's gnarly. And then a couple months later, he comes to me and he's like, dude, I talked to Cooper and he did like, 60 something motos before the season even started yeah and i'm like oh i thought that was old school yeah <laughs> like yeah you got to do the work man like there's no shortcut no no dude no i mean i'm like training for world vets yeah at, at the moment you know and it's like i think i've done i'm at probably like 54 motos for the year with like 20s that i'm yeah i think my race are like 12 minutes but man i've just been fucking burying myself like I, I when i was in dubai for those few months at the start of the year i bought a 450 and it's like a huge sand dune track it's like seven kilometers for one lap so three laps is a 20 minute motor for me. yeah and hot as balls like struggling can barely ride like i just there's so many motos this year where i've just wanted to quit and just like not maybe not riding but just that motor just yeah. be like fuck it i'm done i'm too hot i'm dehydrated i didn't sleep good like just every negative thought going through your mind it's like it's been regardless of what happens at world that's like it's been quite an interesting experience yeah. this year doing that many motos like glenn helen the other day it was like 100 and something dude like it was hot. crazy yeah. hot i was on a 450 borrowed 450 yamaha never in the yamaha before shout out brad west uh <laughs> never rode a yamaha 450 before didn't want to do a 20 minute moto on that bike in 110 degree heat but just you got to just went out and and did it you know you so do it's the like, work. but imagine so that's me trying to get ready for a silly little 12 minute race in Glen Helen in November. So it's like, imagine the amount of work that goes into doing like a, yeah, Bud's Creek or like your yeah. pro day. There's no substitute for just doing And then you got a 16 year old telling you that's no wrong. That's <laughs> yeah, old school. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy how ready Deegan was. Yeah. Well, I, I saw that coming. Yeah. And uh, I figured we might touch on that a little bit. Um, if you go back to when Deegan was like 14, I've, I've been pretty good friends with the dad for a really long time. We obviously had a little bit of issues when he was the spike guy and, and, uh, way, way back then yeah, when yeah. he was like gnarly. Yeah. The spike guy. But I've seen the changes. He's like, it's awesome. Oh yeah. Like the family unit there's like amazing. So a few years ago, he's, he's, I think he's two years older than Ryder. And, uh, he was riding scooters 
but he started, he got a BMX bike and he wanted to ride BMX. He got an airbag and I saw him at the track. I'm like, well, go to the skate park with us. Like Ryder would love to ride with you. And uh, we spent, you know, there was a few months there where they were riding, you know, two, three days a week. We we're going to the skate parks. We we're going to Vans Park. We we're going to Claremont and San Diego. We were going to ride in his airbag at his house. And within those few months, he ended up with a signature bike from Fit. Like Ryder finally got his bar spins good because Hayden was like, you got to do them. You got to do them. Like, and Hayden did them. Like he just did it. The, the kid's gnarly. So he's just that talented. He's just good. Yeah. And, and his dad never really pushed super hard on the moto side. They did, they did the work. Obviously they, they won Loretta's and they did all that, but it wasn't, he wasn't training like Justin Cooper is Yeah. to race Loretta's. Yeah. It was two days a week at Paula. It was Charles Dow, Jim Knights, um, really not road riding, but like just doing, doing the motos, like doing the gym stuff. And he was riding BMX. Mm. He was riding a lot with Ryder. And, uh, it was almost like overnight that it was like communication was cut. Like it was work time. They signed with star moved to Florida. You never heard from the kid again. Mm. Like we have his airbag at our house. We have his resi mat. Well, like we have all that stuff. Cause they were gone. Like he already had a good base because of what he had done, but he went back there and it was with Swanee and all these other guys. And, uh, and I'm not saying the other guys he's racing with aren't fit, but they don't have his mentality. Mm. Like he's been in a fishbowl since he was three years old. Like they've, they've had a camera on that kid mm. since he was tiny and he's been in these, these situations that adults can barely handle as a child. So there's no pressure for him. Mm. It's like, if he loses, he's pissed at himself. He doesn't care what a million people on YouTube think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where like, if you just get thrown into it and you don't really know you're going to be worried about what everybody else thinks. Yeah. He doesn't care what everybody else thinks. And I'm not saying he's an idiot because he doesn't care. What no, no, no. I know. I completely he's, agree. He's just going to do the work and he's going to do the job. And he knows there's going to be haters and he knows there's going to be people that are fans and he's just going to do the work. And if you listen to his interviews or anything that he says, like, yeah, he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder, but if you were the first person to go one, one as a rookie for the whole season, you deserve to have a little chip on your shoulder, I think. Mm. <clears throat> and I, I like the way Hunter presents himself too. Much, much more humble, I believe. But Deegan's paving his own way. He's got a little bit of a chip. He's proven what he needs to do. And uh, it's not a lot of people talk about, like, how did he get this fit? Like, if you can do the motos and you can block out the outside noise, then you can have success. Mm. You know, it's not like, He's just doing motos on the weekends. The same as he's doing on Wednesday. Yeah. Again, 99% of the people, their motos on the weekends are not like Wednesday. Mm. They're holding their breath. They're hanging on tighter. They're worried about this guy that's behind him. The dude is first here whole shots and doesn't care that there's 39 people behind him. Behind him yeah. He doesn't care. Yeah. He's going to go as fast as he can. And if he wins a race, he wins a race. If he's not fast enough and they pass him, yeah. it was the same as Villapoto when he started winning. Yeah. He was just going and doing his moto. 
And then another example for this season is the other rookie, Chance Hymas. Mm. He's amazing. He's so good on a bike. And he leads a little over half of Matt Morris. And his interview after was, I hadn't led in a long time. I felt pressure of the guys behind me and I got tight. Yeah. That's mentality. Yeah, it's just all in the head. It's it's not because he couldn't do 35 minutes. Yeah. Because he was thinking about the other stuff. Yeah. And Hayden doesn't think of that other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the moto, I mean, I've always, like, I was very just like, Deegan's going to do this. This is what he's going to do. Like, he's going to be unreal. And it was very clear to me in his riding that, like, that bike skill was there. And then when you talk to him, I mean, even when he was, like, 14, 15, it was just so one-track mind. So, like, I've known athletes like that before. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I grew up with a kid that he went to the Olympics for swimming. And it's just, like, the same dude. It's, yeah, it's you know same. what I mean. Yeah. It's like it's copy paste. Copy. Yeah. So once you see these people, that they just have like this crazy vision of themselves, this crazy belief in what they want to do. Like there's there's an as an archetype like that type of person, yeah. and that's kind of just what, well, what he, he I mean, is. You you could go into a truck and see who's ready to race. Yeah. You know, like half of them are like getting amped up, pacing in the truck, like worry you can tell they're thinking about yeah what's coming yeah and then you got knucklehead danger boy who's probably just acting like an idiot and like lars even said like lars from one of the last races he's like yeah you got this annoying kid in the truck who's just talking crap to everybody and just being annoying and then he puts his big boy pants on and just executes yeah that's for very very frustrating for the other guys yeah, that are trying to but think their way into a win. He's not overthinking the situation. Yeah. And that's how it was when I was working with Villapoto. Like, yeah. We'd be wrestling in the truck before he would gear up to go down and battle with Townley. Yeah. And Townley's like on the bike and drinking his stuff and like doing everything. And I love Townley, like an amazing champion. But he did it a different way. Yeah, different vibe. You know? And Ryan was just like, whatever. Yeah. And that's how my my kids like, whatever. Yeah. Like on Friday for a dual solemn practice, like I'm like, you need to do this rhythm lane this way. You gotta wheelie, hop on the table, hop on the table, and off. And he's like, No, I'm gonna double, I'm gonna do it this way. I'm like, I'm telling you the other way's faster. And he's like, I know how to ride a bike. And he shut me down. And he still qualified really good the next day for finals he switched to do it the other way because he realized it was the faster way yeah and he started watching and he's like well who's doing it that way and i'm like everybody everybody that's, go- everybody that's going fast but yeah yeah <laughs> so he's like all right and then he ended up doing that other way better than you know 99 up. well he he was as good as any of them really yeah so it's just they just their mentality is different like yeah. you can tell yeah when when they show up they're not stressed they're ready just to go do their thing get it done and just it's just execution yeah it's nothing mystical yeah the uh the moto that really was like a big cementing danger boy for me was at minio's when he got that like i think he was last or crashed off the start or whatever you watch that moto from start to finish and i was just like oh y'all are fucked (laughs) 
right right you guys yeah yeah are not ready for what's coming like this is this kid like six weeks into a big bike and he's just charged down the entire field yeah and in the dark like just and then once he got the lead checked out even more and it was a 20 minute moto so i was like once i saw that yeah i I knew everything i needed to know yeah right you can't teach Uh, that you can't you can't and when you 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 see a couple of things that he's done this year you're just like and he and he's he's taken a little bit of beating from the from the fans a little bit for a couple of issues but yeah but he's going but he hasn't to, done like, that's, but that's you know just, i i was watching the i was watching the races with a, a friend of mine and uh he's like he's just sketchy I'm like why because he sends it he's like he's just always running into people i'm like i'm like who's he taking out yeah literally no and one. we went through the whole list of every race he's done all year and he's never cleaned anybody out yeah and he's finished every race except for the one his bike broke yeah so how sketchy is he yeah and is he a danger like no he hasn't cleaned any what about jordan jordan he never himself, touched yeah. jordan yeah, yeah yeah never even touched him yeah so no i'm i'm stoked for the kid and and uh and uh, again, you know, in my camp with my kid, we use what they've done as an example. Yeah. Like you can come in and if your mind's right and you're prepared, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. You know, we even look at the mountain bike stuff like, like riders were ridden with Jackson Goldstone. Yeah. Jackson's two or three years older than Ryder. He's elite now and Ryder's not even into junior world cups yet, but we didn't even know that kid was going to race downhill. Yeah. The only time we ever saw him was at Woodward. Yeah. Or down here to at a triple challenge at the supercrosses or at the van skate park like that's the jackson we knew growing up and then we were like oh he's gonna ride for track and and try the world cups and he got second his first one it was like dude he is crazy on a bike and then if it, well if you watch his hard line when he won that oh, i didn't watch hard line well last year because he finished the junior stuff so he went to hard line his first elite he won by six seconds. Yeah. But it was a downhill track with jumps in it. Yeah. Big jumps. Yeah. And if you listen to, to, I think it was Rachel Atherton that was helping and Rob announce. No, it was a uh, Tracy Hannah. Hannah Tracy I Hannah think, was yeah. doing it. So she, fun fact, she was my next door neighbor girl. Oh there. really? Yeah. All the Hannahs. We live like three doors. No down. way. Yeah. 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 Well, I was racing when Mick started. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. So Mick lived like four doors down from yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. So I don't know him really well, but yeah, I saw him at Seattle a couple of years ago and he was like, Hey, what's up? You know, like, so yeah. So pretty rad. But if you hear, if you listen to what she said at that race, she's like, you can just watch him and see that he's done nothing but sit on a bicycle his whole life. That's how I feel about Hayden. That's he's been on a bicycle on a motorcycle his whole yeah, life yeah like he's yeah. just comfortable so that's what when people say that he looks sketchy or like he sends it i'm like that's because he has such an understanding of like this the margins right so it's like you got a piece of paper and then these are your margins and you're gonna write between these yeah. lines but your your pen ain't gonna fall off the page because you've got these yeah margins either side he's so comfortable getting into that margin space and his margins are a little wider than and they're, most. they're a little wider than than most people but he's <laughs> so comfortable in yeah. being in that state and i think the same thing with jet like we've seen a couple times this year where <clears throat> jet's bike stepped out and he's had like a, a moment 
right? <laughs> what moment? It doesn't matter. Like, literally. Yeah. So I think that Hayden's style is to ride those margins a little bit more. He's also on a 250, a really great 250 at that. Yeah. So, I mean, he probably feels like he can do what he wants to do it probably changes a bit more when you get on a 450 i think those margins kind of shrink in they the page need, gets yeah, a little bit they need to close in a little yeah, bit the, the yeah. page gets a little bit yeah. closer because that's just dangerous yeah but that's exactly what i see with him i'm just like here's a dude that's just done so much time on a bike that just the things that we think he should react to he doesn't because yeah. he's already done the math like that well, and it's again already and, and again i feel like there's a handful of riders that could do that if they had the mentality. Yeah. Like if they just would block out the noise, they could be right there. Yeah. You know, like, you know, maybe Juju might be one of those kids. Like he literally like in my eyes came out of nowhere. Yeah. And I've known the kid for a long time, but he, he was never like winning everything at, at the James Stewart National, he was never like winning everything all the time. Like he wasn't this kid that was just like yeah, yeah, winning all the way through. Even motos, whatever, he was just kind of there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he gets in these future things. Like when he whole shotted the futures and Ryder D started behind him, I'm like, oh, this is over, because I thought Ryder D was going to pass him and take off, mm. and he didn't. And I'm like, wow. And the dad and kid are awesome so i was like sweet yeah but i like randy and you know Ryder too like we've known them since Ryder was like five so yeah. we're pulling for him as well like i'm a fan of anybody that can go out and figure it out and do it like that like yeah. it's awesome but he came out of nowhere like, like nowhere it was, just yeah. wasn't even a, a thing like Ryder d's been on the radar since Forever. he was six yeah you know yeah it, it's cool that the futures has given kids a chance to it kind of has, huh? Yeah. yeah it's like been it's, really cool. Yeah, it's sort of, not to say Loretta's doesn't matter, but Loretta's is such a different environment. Like, I think yeah, it's, after being at Loretta's and seeing, you know, it's like you've got to qualify to get there. It's just one week. It's over a week. You've got to keep... Uh, I mean, just think about... I, I saw so many kids. <laughs> it was funny. We're at the... Uh, Axel was doing, like, the freestyle yeah. thing. So I'm just, like, in the crowd watching the, the freestyle and then uh, I was with a mate and he's like oh that's the kids in 250B that kid's in pro sport like, and they like had chicks with them and the chicks had mega and I'm like you suck you suck and they got you, ice like, cream and yeah, they got no shirt on you're fucking losing <laughs> you're losing tomorrow you're losing you're wasting your dad's money like because even just to be a kid and essentially go to summer camp for like the best week of your life and to block out all the noise the fucking the sisters the daughters the you know like yeah. all the fun that you can be doing so it's not to say that loretta's isn't a place that builds champions like it it obviously is yeah but i think that it's pretty cool to have something like futures come along yeah. where it's like a dad and a kid can go there they can hold shot yeah and they can then be on the radar of factory well, KTM and you're, doing, and it, and you're doing it you're doing it in front of the crowd that you got to race fifty thousand yeah. yeah 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 so it's like it's cool that that's come in and yeah. and like we've already got a prospect now for the future that's mm -hmm. like come through that rank you know yeah again like i said earlier like you got to be able to roll through the tunnel yeah yeah you know yeah and i mean dude how's that for just knowing this kid is capable of that because you just you never know until right you i know put yourself in that yeah. position and you're you know you're running these companies and you're a team manager and you're like 
this kid got six at Loretta's, but I know he's really fast or, you know, whatever. Like, you can't just hire the guy that wins all the time because usually the guy that wins Loretta's has a three-year deal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then was Deegan on, a like, a works bike at Loretta's last year? We don't know. Like, we know it wasn't stock, but none of the bikes are stock. Yeah. But was it elite? I mean, I remember when Tomac, his last year at Loretta's, Dude, he made everybody look stupid. Yeah, really. But Geico was there. Like, they had a couple of mechanics there. There was a different motor in the bike every time they went out. Like, what level was that bike? Was yeah. it, like, amateur level bike? Or did they... Yeah, but what even is that these days? Well, I, I suppose the claim rule is yeah, supposed to keep... Yeah, there's that. I mean, I mean, you could talk to Mitch more about it. And, like, he kind of has more of an idea of, like, okay, you're you know your test bike's 12 percent off of what your race bike's ah uh, yep yep you yep. know like we can't we can't you, justify you're, that you know, and your practice bikes you know 15 percent off what your test bike's gonna be yeah yeah because you got to ride that three days in a row you know and it's just if it's your race motor it's not gonna make it yeah you know that seems so crazy to me that those bikes are running on that much of an edge yeah, it's gnarly. Like a PC bike. Well, that's why Master Pool's on a 450. Like, yeah. how are you going to compete? Yeah. To be honest, you know, I mean, go back, like, so when I was at Cowie and uh, James was riding the one, the last year he rode the 125, like, I I was Ezra's mechanic 0203. Yeah. And I went in-house for 2004. Yeah. And I was the test guy for Burner and James. Yeah. That was James's last year, 125. So you were test riding or test no, mechanic? No, I was test yeah, mechanic. Yeah, 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 like yeah. I built the test bikes. I built their practice bikes. I yeah. took them testing. You know, me and Skip was the kind of crew chief at the time. Um, and we would work together on, okay, what do we need to work on? You know, we're working on suspension, motors. We got to fix the clutch issue. Like, and then I would build the bike and uh, take the guys to the Cowie track or outdoor track or whatever time of the year it was. And so since I was so like... I did all James's practice bikes that year and he had four of them in rotation to Florida. So we had crates that you would just take the bars off, yeah. roll the bike in, strap it down, truck would pick it up. They'd drop a bike off. And when they dropped that bike off, there had already been a new one there that they would roll out of that crate. They'd roll an old one in there, strap it down and that, yeah. the truck would bring it back. Yeah. Yeah. And a bike would last them a week. Like he was rotating four bikes and a new bike. Well, was so that was a weekly week. deal. It was a weekly deal. Fuck. And I, I'd get a crate. A bike had three or four days on it and it was garbage, like ruined. And I'd have to just tear it down, rebuild it. Like so the, what, what did the motor look like? <laughs> the motor really didn't get that. With the exception, like the, the bottom end was fine. Yeah. Like training, all that stuff. But we did a lot of cranks. Um, but with James, like, and I thought about this last night about maybe bringing this up. We did some telemetry stuff with J with James back then. And it, he rode the bike right at the best power mm. always. So he wasn't a bar show. It was over rev and he was just like ruining everything because he was just like too tapped. It was always right there. So it was never at the point where it was going to detonate. You know, it was always good. So the motors weren't hammered, but obviously the piston rings wore out. So you're changing a lot of that stuff, you know, checking the crank, the chain cranks would be like a four hour, five hour crank or whatever. Yeah. 
but a piston would be like an hour mm. like and so i started i went to the nationals with the team that year as i was i didn't i wasn't scheduled to go to all the races but i started going because of the maintenance that that bike took and jeremy albrecht was his mechanic every time james came in from a practice moto whatever the motor came apart like top end at least a new ring sometimes a piston new reeds brake pads like we'd go through that bike and i would be one side of the bike jeremy would be the other side because you only had a limited amount of time to do it you know because practices were back to back or whatever but the way he was riding that bike like the maintenance was very very high because the kx125 was not it was not the best bike out there yeah and to make it through a weekend national with james it had to be brand new every time he went out on it or it just wasn't especially with the compression like what you had to do to make it fast enough yeah yeah you know it wasn't like a stock yzf 250 that was pretty fast anyways it started out like yeah a roach yeah yeah it was gnarly that's a crazy time to be around that whole world <clears throat> yeah it was cool and and like we said like how many generations have i lived you know like damon bradshaw way back used to come and ride our house in beaumont like he'd come and ride our little track because my brother was support yamaha and and damon was gnarly dude like you know my brother when he started racing if you listen to his whiskey mm. throttle thing like he talks about staying at damon's house back east and and randy damon's dad was taking my brother to nationals like so being that close to like a damon and then an emig and a jeremy and a then james and then an rv jason you know i even interviewed and was when dungy was going to go to ktm we spent a few weeks together you know talking and hanging out and me possibly working with him when he went to the ktm and uh, he ended up making the choice to go to florida with alden so i've had some pretty good opportunities Mm. in moto also in bmx also in mountain bike you know it's been kind of a pretty cool deal oh it's been yeah a crazy ride and uh like that year with james like his whole goal was to win a race by a minute really and uh bud's creek he was on the 125 he won by a minute and nine seconds and it was crazy because it was about that's 69 maybe, for those following along at home. Yeah. <laughs> it was. Yeah. 69 seconds. Ugh. And uh, <laughs> good one. He, uh, Jeremy gave him 22 minutes with like a 45 second lead. And the next lap was ridiculous. It's almost like they just did a start and he just started ripping, dude, and just scrubbing everything. <laughs> he won by a minute and nine and then that was the first year they had the four strokes yeah out yeah yep, yep. he chose to run the two the 125 because that's when it was the suzuki ktm combo yeah and uh i think ivan dnf like 10 motos yeah yeah Millsaps probably eight motos like the bike wasn't going to finish the season yeah but james had the title wrapped up so he rode the, at, glenn the, helen. at glenn helen yeah and he won by a minute and seven so he won by more on a 125. Yeah. Two seconds. But I remember that uh, that weekend at Glen Helen when he rode the 250, and it he looked kind of like what Jet looks like now almost. 
Like he was just well, could, so smooth and just carrying of, yeah, so much momentum. And, and you got to relate that to like then, like he was, he he was he was seven eight seconds a lap faster than anybody on the track at any given time. How hard do you have to ride to win? Yeah, you know, I mean Jet, like yeah, he was second fast the first practice this last weekend, but then what? He dropped two and a half seconds. Yeah, in the second practice when everybody else went slower in the second practice. So I was like, how hard do you got to ride? Yeah, you know he's he's just he's had to push a couple times a little bit. Yeah. Like the first moto, he had to get on a little bit, but he still was like, he still had control of the race because the guys up front weren't getting away. Mm. Like there wasn't one person up front. It wasn't like Chase was up front putting in this moto. Yeah, that would have been a different it, That probably would have changed the situation. Do you reckon he still would have won? I think so. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> I th- I'd say he probably would have. I mean, you can't say he wouldn't have. Yeah. You know, it's pretty um, hard statistically to bet. Yeah, I know. At this You're point. twenty and zero. It's yeah. like, yeah, he would have lost. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If only. <laughs> so, I don't know. I mean, we're just sitting here like chatting about stuff. I, I've, it's just Moto's awesome. Like every generation, so many cool things have happened. Like, yeah, when you're, you know, and I've been very, very fortunate to be at the high end of the sport for a really, really long time. And also kind of in the trenches too, and yeah. just being with riders that struggle, struggle, struggle. And, uh, but wouldn't trade it for anything. Yeah. It's been awesome. It's, it's one thing as well. Like, so staying with, um, Brad West for the last few weeks. Right. So if you take his results on face at Loretta's terrible Loretta's like he had some health problems and whatever. Right. So, like, if I was on the outside looking in, looked at his results at Loretta's, oh, he rips for four laps, then he faded. I'd be like, ah, oh, this kid just obviously is, like, super fast, but he doesn't train hard, you know? And then I live with the kid. And then he gets up every morning, measures his heart rate, does his hemoglobin, fucking does his blood sugar, runs every morning before he rides. Me, We've been doing, like, uh, you know base cycles together like he's been helping me train cooks all his own food nutrition's insanely yep. on point like so here's this kid on face value that you could look and go like yep. ah he's just not really trying you know but then the real story like behind the scenes he might not be the kid that's winning loretta's right now but it's like there's so much crazy work and dedication know, yeah. and passion yeah. and like and his dad's there doing everything that he can his brother and he's got mechanic it's like there's such a massive effort that goes in oh, I know. Yeah. to this sport to be a dude that's not winning you know and I, yeah. I think that's another thing that's like crazy cool in our sport probably just is a little bit underrated is like the dudes that just don't get the shine no, that I know. are it's, still it's, out there just grinding yeah, I know. bro like, and that, that's the thing like because I did help Westy for a couple of years but we were doing mainly just track stuff and they were kind of doing their own stuff off the side um their gym stuff and that stuff and uh dude he was he's good like he's a really really good rider and then we did like last year we got to loretta's and he just couldn't get out of the gate you know and then he would tip over and it was just like yeah so you'd be and then you know you fall in the first race and then your shoulders jack so then you're like getting it taped every time you go to the line and 
and uh you know at least last year we ended up his best moto was the sixth one yeah you know we ended up in the top five but he should have been there all week yeah yeah you know like yeah. he should have just came in you know got that wood, fifth first. put the wood down and just yeah. yeah okay let's build off that yeah and uh you just it's it's really hard to know what you're going to get when you go to Loretta's. Like, and it's just the sport is so gnarly. It's so gnarly. It's so gnarly to do. Because you sit up for level. a second and ten people are gone. Yeah. You tip over once and they're just going to run you over. They don't care. Yeah. It's nuts, dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, crazy yeah. brutal. It's fine. I want to go back to um the Jackson Goldstone thing. I look at him and see Jet Lawrence. Like where like that that to me I think so they said it so Ricky said it on the broadcast for the first time this year and I've been thinking because I've studied I've studied a lot of sex and like how he rides and and I've spoke to him on camera off camera like a bunch about you know some things that he's doing and it was the first time where Ricky said that you can see or well, maybe it was Unadilla actually it was either one of the rounds. Um, but he's basically said like you can see the pressure that Sexton's putting through his foot pegs when he's braking and he's like loading the motorcycle so much under braking and I think that's where you know you want to see like the the issues that he has is like when he's coming into those turns right Mm -hmm. the biggest thing that I've like their body position everything the position that those two guys are in when they ride is so similar like you can almost put it over the top but the difference is and what ricky alluded to is that jet's unweighting his bike through those bumps and through the braking zones and sexton's putting that's like the maximum force that he's generating is like under braking yeah and when you watch mountain biking now when you watch like the jackson goldstones and when you watch these guys that are that new like in jordan williams is similar yeah yeah just like unweighting you know, the bike I, constantly and, you know and i even look at like loris vergier like he's yeah. a he's very very light on his bike yeah like bruni's a beast dude yeah but he's heavy yeah like he's, he's more of a, like a tomac style he's a masher dude he's yeah. just gonna get the job done but like i look like i always make Ryder watch loris yeah like and Ryder rides very similar to that like just super light hopping through stuff like not really smashing anything like we Ryder's been on the same set of wheels. We just got new wheels since November. And we shuttle two, three days a week. And yeah, he's done right. probably he's done probably fifteen, sixteen races. And he hasn't broken a wheel. When we have other friends that they'll do two wheels in a weekend. Yeah. Same track. Yeah. You know, so but like the last race, Val de Sol. Jackson won, like Yeah. I watched his run again the other day and it was like it was like I watched it again for the first time. Yeah. It was just crazy. Like, there was never any weight on the tires. Never. No. no. Psycho, way eh, when you watch yeah. it? Yeah. It was like Matrix down the that track. Yeah. You know? And that's just... Yeah, that's what it's going to take. Yeah. And, and one thing that I've noticed in, you know, watching downhill over the last couple of years is you're seeing guys that have been doing it for a long time having better success now Mm. and every time they have an interview something it's i've been working with my trainer more Mm. i've been working on this more like charlie hatton one of his things like he hurt his ankle at val de sol he just won world champs and uh, he hadn't even ridden his bike he was managing his ankle and in the gym he hasn't forgot how to ride a bike no no he just kind of fine-tuned a couple things and made sure his body was ready 
and he was probably more recovered because he stayed off of his bike and didn't just overdo it and freaking won mm. because he was focused because he was recovered. Yeah. You know, if you just go and go and go and go, you're not recovered. Your focus is off and then you're going to, you know, hit a root wrong and you fall. Yeah. So I pay attention to all that stuff. Like yeah. that's my daily it's like YouTube, like listening to the guys, like what, yeah, the, what just trying to like and it's not just the mountain, like it's, it's moto. Like I watch, listen to all the press conferences, the swap moto post race deals, like your stuff, like with whoever it is. Like I listen to all that stuff just so I can kind of the title 24 yeah, yeah. with Ricky and RV, which is really good. It's pretty good. Yeah. But I'll come, I'll make a comment on one of the last ones that Ryan was saying, cause you know, they were talking about does Jet let Chase go so he can see what he's doing? Yeah. And then Ryan brought up... The Millville. Millville. Yeah. So, at that race, I mean, that that year, it was like, Ryan went 1-2 every weekend. That was going to be my next... I was like, we can't finish this podcast without talking about 2008, because <laughs> that was psycho. Yeah. So, well, was then it 07 or what? It was 07. 07, sorry. And if, if you look at... If you watch videos of Ryan in 06 there's no way he would have competed with Ben and you think nope not even he wasn't even close but by the time after he won that title and then he won the Supergrass title in 07 the next Just year a different dude and he was a different dude he was ready like he was more poised on the bike like confidence was there speed was there um and in the beginning of the season so a perfect thing like so my business was is second moto fitness because my like my tagline is like anybody can do one mm. right so we go to hangtown 07 ryan wins the first moto ben wins the second moto i'm walking through the airport we flew home saturday night emig walks up and he's like what's up second moto fitness and i'm like talk to me glenn helen yeah you know this was the first race and he's already busting my balls yeah, right yeah and uh and then i hear you know there's there's interviews and this and that it's like we work hard on everybody like this is like the whole ricky crew in florida like we work hard on everybody nobody can compete with us like we're doing this we're doing that and then i did one and i'm like it's going to be a long season you're gonna have to deal with missed bags missed flights bad hotels rent a cars like yeah. There's a lot of things to deal with over yeah, it's 12 not rounds. Just the track. It's not just the track. Yeah. Like, how are you going to deal with all that? And it just kept continuing to be the same thing. It was like one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. And Ryan actually went on a little bit of a stretch for a minute. Ben had a couple of issues. And uh, Ryan, Ryan's radiator hose or something broke at Unadilla that year. Mm. Maybe it was the first year. I think it was that year. And he lost, he had like a 22 point lead and, and left that race three points down or something. Yep. 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 And then it ended up being that three point gap for a while. So rolling to Millville. And after practice, Ryan was like in the top of the truck. Literally looked like he was ready to quit. Like, I can't do this anymore. Like, that type of a deal it was like come to jesus moment like okay what are we doing here i'm like all right you're not a weekend warrior this is your job because he had a bad practice mm. 
I'm like, you're here to do a job. Do your job or quit. You know how to do the job. So just do it. it yeah, you're a kid, but this is a position you're in. Handle your business. So he won the first moto. No, he he did not win the first moto. So we talked about all the races that had that we've had. And I'm like, if, if it's at that point, like early, like six, eight minutes into the race, if he's on you and you're not feeling comfortable, let him go and watch what he's doing. You can do whatever you want to do. The same thing I told Jake in Vegas, you can do whatever you want on your dirt bike. Let him go and follow him. And then the pressure's on him. He waited until 23, 24 minutes into the race, moves over, let him go. And Ben just checked out. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that was not the plan. That was not the plan. It's supposed to be like after like three laps, maybe. And uh but he went out and he won the second moto. He passed him in that lock bottom thing and then just whoosh. But Ben after the first moto you could tell he was pretty vapored. Yeah, really. He was we were on the podium and, and you could tell that moto took a lot out of him. Yeah. And it was uh it started coming down to it and we were we we're getting ready for Texas. Which was always hot as fuck. Which was hot. And uh, and he's from the Southern Hemisphere, like way down in the yeah. cold. And so. maybe we started, uh, maybe it was right after Millville, because Ryan won the overall. And I think we had Still City next. And uh, it was like three races left. Still City, Texas, Glen Helen. And we went home, and he only rode twice that week. And Danny was losing his mind. And I'm like... We got this, real life. I'm like, let Ben go back to Florida Beat and do 18 motos yeah, yeah, this yeah. week in the 105, or, you know, humidity or whatever. Let show up recovered. And that weekend was the Austin Troop that you've talked about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> when like, he just come in and yachts out everybody. Blew everybody yeah. out. But if you, so Ryan and, Dun and uh, Townley got up. Yeah. And they were very similar yeah. once they got up going. Ah, uh, they went. And RV just went. Yeah. You know, and that kind of was when it put a little bit that of a ding. That was a bit of a turning point. A, a bit of a, a, of a ding in what Ben was doing. And then we went to Texas the next weekend. And uh, I was standing with an old friend of mine. Um, we call him Iron. Yeah. He uh, he did like Champion Nutrition, Cytomax stuff way oh, back. Oh, I remember, yeah. Hey, yeah. I'm going to piss real quick yeah, before we finish this story. Sorry. All right, where were we? So we were... Uh, so you're standing there with the guy. Yeah, so we were we were in Texas and first moto. And uh we'd we'd really taken a break during the weeks at this point. Yeah. And Danny wasn't happy. And uh leading up to Texas, we were at Glen Helen and uh we did went out for a moto and Metcalf was riding good that day. Yeah. And Danny was just freaking out thinking Matt Cow's winning this weekend like Ryan's off he don't have it like he's losing and then went out the next moto and Dungey was on it Ugh. so I'm like well you need to tell me who's going to win is, is Dungey or Matt Cow going to win this weekend you know so that was just kind of a, like on the way back to the truck because uh, I knew I mean Ryan put in the work like he knew what to do with the races like I wasn't stressed about it and uh, I knew he was rested so we go to Texas, and uh, I believe Ryan was leading, and Townley started maybe fifth or sixth, but was coming through, obviously, like making moves. 
and uh, I was standing with Jeff, and I'm like, set your timer for 12 minutes. And literally at 12 minutes, the corner right in front of us, Townley's front wheel popped out of the rut. And I looked at Jeff and I said, he's done. Crazy, dude. It was nuts. Like, Ryan went 1-1 that day, ended with a 19-point lead after that race. I think Townley got a sixth in one of the motos that day. Then we go to Glen Helen for the last race. And uh, I think Ryan won the first moto. And so I had 21-point lead. And we're sitting in the truck, and Ryan's like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, you're here to win, so do that. But if he's on you and it's like gnarly, let him go. And they raced, they raced pretty hard for, you know, four or five laps, and then Ryan just sat up and yeah. cruised it in. <clears throat> Obviously won the title, and it was almost like it was meant to be. I was walking to the podium, and guess who pops up off the side of the track? Hey. Emig. Really? And, they, and I'm like, yeah. second model fitness, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> From the first race to that, literally, like, it couldn't have worked out more perfect. Yeah. That and, was uh, that was the, probably was the amazing. Best, best motocross season of all time. It was amazing. It was, there were so many ups and downs, like, during the week and, you know, whatevers. And, I mean, tell me had issues at Red Bud. Um like with a stomach or something like that and you didn't really know what was going to happen and then uh ryan won the first moto at red bud and walked off the podium and was literally like i can't ride again like i'm done really like he was just exhausted exhausted and i'm like you put in the work you have the base you'll recover he was one one that day but townley did have some some issues that day um i think he went to the hospital the day before after practice or something because he had some stomach something weird but i'd go in the so i'd go in we were in grandma and grandpa's motorhome staying at the races you know those first couple of years and i come out of the shower and there's like reese's peanut butter cup wrappers all over the table and ryan looking at me just laughing <laughs> i'm like what are you doing that's so like, good <laughs> he'd just be laughing at me him and his cousin just laughing at me and I came in between motos at one of the races, come in, make a sandwich, set his drinks out, like all that stuff, and then go back over to the truck, you know, talk to the mechanic or whatever, and come back. And he's sitting there with this big thing of like cheese balls, like the cheese puffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just eating those, sandwich and drinks still on the table. Just like, you got another moto. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's so <laughs> And I'm like yell at him and just leave like walk out of the motorhome like you're an idiot that's so good and him and his cousin laughing at me what was the vibe between him and townley like um anything that i saw was fine like and it, it must have been fine because like that year it, it might have been just after the season for my birthday we did a century ride mm. and ben came with we had like 25 people Sick. all did a century and uh well there was a, there was like you either did half or you did the full ryan did half townley did the full <laughs> that's so good <laughs> but um no i think it was good um obviously there, there was the the competitiveness 
you know, they didn't want the other one to win. But there was never a blowout. There was never like the John Michelle Bell, Jeff Stanton, mm. you know, throwing stuff at each other and whatever. Um, Which is pretty impressive in itself. It was awesome because uh, the mechanics handled it well. The team handled it well. Mitch handled it well. Um, I feel like between me and Alden, we handled it really well. Um, there was really no no animosity, no like there was nothing. Like it was just they were just they're racing. That right. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was cool. It was yeah. never like James and Chad. Yeah. It, you, there was never that. Yeah. You know. Um Yeah. But they did fly to separate coasts. Yeah. You go true. to your room, you go to your room yeah, for a week yeah, and then yeah. we'll come back. Yeah. You know, give you the you know, five days to cool off. So, but it was tough. Like it was, man, you put your heart and soul into it and leave the next weekend three points down again. Yeah. You know, it was just even, 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 you know, and then Townley's getting the overall. So he's getting the bonuses. Getting the cash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> and the wins like, yeah. you know, Ryan would have had probably, you know, I mean, I think Ben got seven of them that year. Yeah. And Ryan got five and josh grant got one yeah that's right yeah yeah what a crazy what a crazy period of, yeah. of motocross man you've seen it all you've, <laughs> you've literally seen you've seen uh some of the craziest errors of the sport yeah uh, if you could if you could change one thing about the sport now given all the we'll finish on this one if you if you could knowing all of the knowledge seeing everything that you've seen in the last 20 plus years of being around the sport what would you change about the sport right now that would make it better overall? Mm. Maybe. Dude, I would, I, I, on one hand, I'd want to say like they need to make it a little bit more enjoyable. But um I think there's a couple of guys doing that. Like, I think Jet's enjoying what he's doing. Mm. You know, I, I don't, I don't think he's, cause I'm trying to draw a line between the, the Carmichael train and die era to what we have now. We don't have that now. Mm -mm. Like the guys train, they do, but it's not like Ricky did. You know, these kids are taking time off and they're, you know, doing half their moto sometimes. And, you know, maybe the, I, I, I'm going to probably have to go around a little bit to maybe even find an answer. Cause I think right now guys are just doing the work mm. with no reason behind it. It's just mindless work. And if you look at like a Jordan or a Kobe or, you know, any champion and everything, like you have to do the work for a reason. Mm. You can do less work, but if it's for a reason, your success is going to be better than it'd be back to the, the Nick way. Like he just did work. Mm. He didn't really have an, a reason why I just need to be strong for what? So you can do 35 minutes in 12th place. Like we got to change something. Mm. Um, so maybe that would be it. Like <clears throat> change the thought process of, of a lot of this, um, homeschooled generation mm. like they just have done the work their whole life and 
there hasn't been really much thought into it going through the motions yeah and yeah. Uh, and i think that was well not think i know the few weeks that i communicated with dungy his last year on the suzuki he uh he was out in california staying at his brother's house and uh we linked up for a couple of road rides and uh we just started talking went to lunch a couple times and uh we agreed like around unadilla for me to kind of just chat with him and kind of gauge what he's doing during the week i was going to the races i was working with anderson so i could go to dungy's truck and talk to him but i talked to him on the phone you know during the weeks and uh i'm like well what's your plan this week like after unadilla he's like well the this is what i would normally do and he was still doing 30s yeah i'm like you can't you do 30s like have you ever worked on trying to get Villapoto sprint? Yeah. Well, no. Like, but he always did his own work. Yeah. Like, he didn't have somebody in his back pocket being like, dude. Maybe try this. Maybe try you're, that. You're as fast as him at the end of the race. Yeah. But you're 12 seconds back. What can you do to narrow that 12 seconds after the first four laps? Mm. And uh, so we started doing that. And it was only a couple of weeks, and we went to Still City, and he qualified. He was literally five seconds back from RV in qualification. Five seconds. And they dropped the gate, and he led RV until Burner, remember Burner was the lapper, and got in Dungey's way, and Ryan mm, went around that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, Dungey had that moto. Like, after being that far down, Mm. just by putting himself in a good position and his first eight minutes was probably one of the toughest motos of his life yeah but then he was on just hitting his marks yeah and uh so to be able to see him make that change that quick just with a little bit of like just rest, rest during yeah. the week and he wasn't like doing his 30s he, he did you know three lappers i'm like eight three lappers and that's it like what really mm. and uh and then the next week was paula down here and uh rv won the title but dungy won that day mm. he beat him straight up they started like 11th and 12th one of the motos came through that's when rv's hand fell off the bar they were like that was a really really good race but i was down there for practice and uh i just watched practice and there was a couple spots and i was like well try this here and try this here and you know those just a couple of and and i do think if you have somebody there that you trust mm. oh, can, for sure that can kind of give you like a little bit of confidence with what you're doing so you don't have to think about it yeah you're good and i 100 percent believe that's what alden did for him yeah because most people go to alden and do more work than they've ever done yeah. so they're just tired yeah 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 Dunge is not the case well Dunge did less work yeah when he went to Holden because yeah. he always overworked yeah and then he had somebody to give him a little bit of guidance like at the races like well I'll do this do this like pin, like picking apart the track because he wasn't doing all of his gym stuff with a football guy doing 30 minute motor, motos with his dad doing the stopwatch and then his dad's awesome but he wasn't involved with his race day like video picking the track apart like what line do this do that 
and it was really there's two spots on on the track that i'm like do this here and do this here mm. and you'll be good and then he won you know and, and you just it's just having those the eyes to be able to see like certain little things like yeah i mean the three years i spent with jeremy like you could ask anybody any fan or whatever and they're like dude he's just perfect yeah well i was the one that had to critique perfect yeah yeah you know like somebody has to critique perfect yeah right like there's somebody that has to tell jet what he's doing wrong yeah yeah because he's like going home and working on his weaknesses yeah and then that's why you see the performance on the weekend yeah so who's jet gonna listen to yeah like he'll listen to johnny o because they have that relationship yeah he'll listen to his dad because they have that relationship yeah you know it's like there but there's not many kids that will listen to their dad yeah it's so true you know yeah so i feel like i'm still in a pretty good spot with Ryder. like yeah he understands what i've done yeah my whole life and and uh i can still tell him go get on the rower go do this go do that like you know when when he did his first pro race in colorado it was a flat off camber left right out of the gate and he's never ridden pro like and there were some heavy hitters there like bubba warren like colin hudson there, there were some legit dudes kyle straight like yeah 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 <laughs> the list was good and uh he's like i don't i don't like the first turn like i said yeah but i'm watching everybody and you're better than everybody in that first turn so just do it like you're doing it and you'll be fine yeah and he never overrode it and then jill kittner after the race was like i know he was good in bmx but how was he good in that turn yeah like she noticed he was exceptional in that corner and i said well on our property we have a hill and uh i weed whacked some corners in it and there's no rut yeah it's just flat and it's way steeper than that one yeah and uh, so it's just like trying to make make him do the harder stuff during the week yeah so it's easier on the weekend like yeah. like ricky has always said like the race should be fun yeah the work should be during the week like yeah if you're tired and stressed and losing and making mistakes and crashing and doing all that on the weekend you need to change what you're doing during the week mm. you know so that's just kind of what you know i've always tried to do is like do the hard part during the week yeah and don't do anything special on the weekend yeah if you don't have enough do what you can do and we'll go fix it yeah yeah well, that's such a yeah. such a, a good ethos well mate we could probably keep doing this for like six hours but uh <laughs> we'll uh finish this one up thank you very much for for joining us so so much crazy insight over such yeah a, and we and, yeah, well, didn't and even touch half like not even close <laughs> yeah to we half didn't get it. into like the fun stuff either you know like, what's the fun stuff <laughs> well, people are always wanting to hear about the 90s after parties and have a suit and all that stuff but now we're i mean again we i think we got pretty deep into just the racing and what it is now yeah what it used to be um dude it's just been awesome no, like we'll, what a we'll do a part two. what a crazy life huh dude yeah it, it is <laughs> it is super cool and i think that's the yeah that's like the i guess the takeaway is like just to be around so many guys for so long in so many different eras you know like yeah. it, it's been a it's been a super cool i mean it kind of tells career. you tells you the age of a person but yeah <laughs> yeah but to be kind of hands-on for that yeah, long yeah, you yeah. know 15 years mechanics 17 years training yeah 
Um, and the training part came in, you know, after I started racing mountain bikes, cause that's when I learned yeah. about training and recovery and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a super <laughs> unique career then now to have your son, you know, gonna yeah. go into his Be going into like, going to Europe next year. So yeah. yeah pretty awesome no that's sick well we'll have to do a part two at some point yep i'm um, down for sure that's it for uh part one with uh rl awesome thank you cheers bella look around you can find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.